Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. DLC is a special show, especially for the people that need it, the people who are sitting in traffic, the people who are getting through a workout or a run, the people who need us to be in their ear holes, hanging out with them, talking games for 90 plus minutes. Are you ready? DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our sponsor this week, Casper. Made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about gaming in its many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. And also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy who invested his own time, energy, and money to ensure that we would be back streaming live DLC today. Mr. Christian Spicer, thank you, Christian. Um, thank you. Let, let's wait until... <laughs> until this is all a success. <laughs> it's good to be here. We are currently live. We are hanging out. I had fun doing this, and hopefully it keeps it keeps working. Yeah, unfortunately, 5x5 wasn't able to allocate resources for us to do live shows for the past little while, and we've been wanting to be live. We love having the live chat and the uh, you know, live interaction of the of the audience. We love the people that are hanging out with us. Uh, while we do the shows on Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific time. And thank goodness Christian has uh, worked it out. So now we're on Twitch, uh, audio only for now. But um, still, it's going to be great having a, having a live audience contribute as we like that to be and have, have done since the show started. So uh, if you haven't been listening to us live because you couldn't, maybe return to the fold if you're free on Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific time. We'd love to have you back. Uh, and we'll be tweeting about that. Uh, if you follow us on Twitter at Jeff Kanata at Spicer, we'll we'll let you know when you can tune in. Uh, we got a lot of stuff to talk about this week. I have been traveling. Uh, I saw. I went. I visited three different studios this week. Um, I can I can talk about two of them. Unfortunately, <laughs> I went to see Bosky in North Carolina. Uh, they're doing. It's a Cliff Blazinski's. Um, production company they're doing lawbreakers i can't talk about that until next week's episode but uh be excited because i did get an interview with with cliffy b and you'll hear that at the end of next week's show but this week's show uh i got to go to insomniac and i got to go to red storm and uh, i got some interviews there as well i got interviews uh at at insomniac talking about their big announcements that all just hit this morning as we record this uh chad desern and Brian Algeyer will be at the end of this episode uh, with interviews about their cool VR projects that Insomniac is doing. So lots of bonus content coming up. But we got lots of content in the meat of the episode, too. And we have a great guest to do it with us. You know that DLC is always your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I'm excited because we have a brand new guest, which means DLC this week is going to stand for Deals Leading to Contracts. Because we have a video game agent at United Talent Agency with us. Blake Rothkind. What's up? What's up, man? Rothkind. Is it Rothkind? I'm sorry. I should have asked you beforehand. How to, how no, to it's fine. Rothkind? Uh, it's it's, it's Rothkind. The H is silent. Rothkind. Yes. Pardon me. I should have asked you before we started. But Blake, no we've, known, we've known you for a while, and uh, we're excited to have you on the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I've, uh, I was saying before we recorded, I've been listening to you guys dating back all the way to uh, Weekend Confirmed. Wow. Uh, well, we've, uh, we're, we're happy to have you on the show. Finally, we've... Uh, We've uh, talked at length to you um, many times about the gaming industry, but yep. mostly uh, ma- off mic and things we can't repeat. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, exactly. 
But, you know, I think our, our listeners would be curious to find out what a game agent does. Yes, for sure. Uh, so it's definitely not like always, in fact, it's very rarely like bringing game IP to movies, which is oftentimes what people think I do or uh, even representing uh, voiceover actors and stuff like that. It's actually very much uh, in the mainstream, uh, as you would call it, video game industry. So uh, basically to put it, in the simplest terms, I represent game developers and studios the way that any other piece of talent is oftentimes represented by a talent agency. So the company I work for, United Talent Agency, is one of the world's biggest talent agencies uh, in Hollywood. If you've ever seen Entourage, uh, it, you know, it's sort of like that, but a little bit. <laughs> I would you're say saying that's you're the pivot? You're the pivot yeah. of the games industry? <laughs> I'm definitely not. Uh, <laughs> but I would say, uh, you know, it's similar to that. I think that world is little hyper-realized, but... Uh, no way. I, Jeff's acting is just like yeah. Vinny Chase. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that, um, that I but I do work at a traditional talent agency, like I said, one of the world's biggest. And uh, as, you know, as the video game business has matured and as the entertainment business has matured, you know, a lot of these agencies have, have started to get into uh, new and quote-unquote non-traditional territories, and one of those is video games. And we represent some of the biggest developers in the world, uh, and basically, like you said, you know, what I think you said deals lead to contracts as, yeah. as the DLC. Uh, we do, you know, business development and uh, get them money to make their games. Really, that's a, that's the simplest way to put it. But it's a lot more complicated than that. Right. It's it's very cool because the games industry really has taken its place beside other big media entertainment. Uh, and you know, you guys are making big deals. These are transmedia properties, and and I think it's cool that the creators have moved out of being just you know guys in their garage hacking away on on code to being real media creators and people that want to bring these concepts, these ideas, these characters to life uh, in a much bigger way. Yeah, and and again, uh, you know, you talked about like transmedia, right? So if we have clients that that do want to do those things, like bring their IP into Hollywood or or work on movies or things like that, of course, I sit in a large agency and I know how to, you know, reach my colleagues and help make that happen. But I cannot stress enough that our bread and butter here is is working for game developers within the game industry, getting them the finances to make their games. Very cool. And over and above all of that. You're also a big fan of games yes. and the, the games industry. So we're happy to have your opinion on all kinds of stuff that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, and, uh, you know, we always start the show the same way, talking about stories of the week. So let's do that now. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And as listeners, you can always submit stories for our consideration. All you have to do is tweet at us links to those stories by using our hashtag, that's D-L-C-S-O-T-W, or by visiting our subreddit over on, uh, over on Reddit. We have a really cool, vibrant community there with really cool discussions about the episodes and about stories that they'd like to see. You can visit 5x5dlc.reddit.com to find that. And you can also give us your feedback by emailing us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Some fun comments and questions coming up later in this episode, so stay tuned for that as well. But Blake, as our guest, you get first pick of stories. So what is your story of the week? Yeah, so I figured I'd pick something that uh, actually came out this morning, but also is sort of relevant to what I do here at UTA. Uh, This morning it was announced that GameStop is going to be launching a new publishing initiative, Game Trust. 
this was sort of teased out a few months ago when it was announced that GameStop was going to be uh, publishing Insomniac's game Song of the Deep. I think you guys talked about it on the show, if I remember yeah, correctly. we did. And I think even at the time you said, is this an indicator of a larger move by GameStop? I actually knew the answer to that listening. Uh, <laughs> there was, I was really glad to see that this announcement came out today because uh, I think it's very cool um, seeing a company like GameStop diversify. Um, I've had many conversations with the guys running that initiative, and I think they're thinking about it in a very, very smart way. Um, I also think it was great that they gave it its own brand rather than just GameStop Publishing for, for many reasons. Um, you know, gamers are a fickle bunch, and I think it's smart to sort of give this thing its own label and let it live and die on, it, on its own uh, by the strength of the output rather than calling it GameStop Publishing. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, they announced today that it's not just Insomniac and Song of the Deep, but they've signed Ready at Dawn, uh, Tequila Works, um, and a few other developers. I don't think they announced any of the, the titles, just that these are their initial partners. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason I think it's super interesting, besides just GameStop being in the publishing business, which makes for a great headline, but it speaks to how healthy the video game business is. I can tell you, uh, on my side of things, GameStop is only one of a few new tradition, like quote-unquote traditional premium publishers that will be uh, sort of come to light this year. Uh, and I think it's because for many years, I think people were like, oh my God, the sky is falling. The console business is dead. Uh, premium games are dead. Free to play, free to play, free to play. Uh, and I think actually over time, it's been realized that no, the sky is not falling. This is a good business that if you fund the right teams and give them the right amount of time uh, with the right amount of money and they put out great stuff that you will be rewarded just like as you often are in any other entertainment industry. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to me. Uh, you know, we, as you said, we have Ready at Dawn, Frozen Byte, some some real big name developers that are signing on to have their games published with GameStop, and uh, we don't know yet what those games will look like. It's interesting to me that the first game that has been announced that we know anything about is from Insomniac, which is a AAA developer, and Song of the Deep certainly looks like a very uh, and having I played it now twice. Um, it's a beautiful game. It's an interesting game. It's a you know it's a Metroidvania, but it is very much a smaller price point game. It, it's what would traditionally be viewed as a sort of downloadable uh, indie type title, even though this is not an indie game. Um, and I'm curious if these other developers are going to follow suit and have kind of smaller experiences at first with the GameStop publishing brand. And if so, it certainly seems like a way for GameStop to sort of head that off at the pass a bit and be involved in a side of the industry that they're not usually involved in because those are usually the types of games that you don't need to go into a GameStop to purchase because you just download them directly. Um, So I, I find that to be an interesting sort of strategic move on their part as well. I think going in small makes sense, right? I mean, I think anytime you you jump into something for the first time i think it's wise to put your toe in (laughs) before you just dive headfirst into the pool i mean what was it um squares first final fantasy movie spirits spirits within or something Mm -hmm. like that where i think it was a hundred million dollar animated movie and of course yeah they had pedigree for doing great cutscenes or whatever but i mean that movie bombed not that it couldn't have been a hit but i mean it was a hundred million dollar mistake i think if if gamestop was like and we're coming out with finally a game that competes with Gears of War, and it's we're going all in. I would be like, uh, I'm going to use all my GameStop store credit now. <laughs> well, but I mean, if you know, if they're partnering with developers who have experience making those size games, I don't think it's a big of a stretch. If they're just 
publishing, you know? I don't know, man. I mean, there are, I feel like more, I just watched the Unseen 64 video on the Dirty Harry video game, which Unseen 64, a plug to them, they do such cool stuff. And it was, you know, WB backed, shown at, what, two E3s, millions of dollars. Um, what's, his, uh, what's his name? Clint Eastwood was coming back to do VO work for it, the first time returning to the character after all these years. And that thing went belly up at two different studios. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard to do well, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, Jeff, you, you nailed it. Um, again, I don't know all of the games that those developers are making. I think it's safe to say that you will see the majority of these first batch come out at that sort of $20, $30 price range, 15 maybe, um, for all the reasons you said, right? Like walk before you run. Um, Perhaps don't compete directly with with some of your biggest partners, right? You know, you're not, you know, you still want to be respectful to the EAs and and uh, Ubisofts of the world. You know, I think actually a very good analogy for what they've done is, you know, you might remember a few years ago when Microsoft started making the Surface tablets, everyone talked about how, oh my God, Microsoft's sort of betraying their OEM partners and the PC business is going to crumble because Microsoft's making their own stuff. But they sort of carved out their own little niche in in in, in the sort of Windows-based market and. You know, ultimately, people are still uh, succeeding in that market, even though Microsoft now entered it themselves. Uh, and I think that's a, you know, maybe flawed, but a, a, a good comparison to what's happening here. It's going to be interesting to see going forward how that how that all shakes out and and if it, it works out for GameStop. But I do think it's a very smart strategic move for them to sort of stay relevant in in a changing environment in a changing um, world of of how we get our games. Um, and they have the capital right now because they're doing well, but. I think they see the writing on the wall that that's not always going to be the case, you know, particularly with boxed disc-based games. So, interesting. Yep. Uh, Christian, how about you? What's your story of the week? Red Dead 2 official question mark exclamation point shown at E3 possibly maybe it's a prequel and if you look at the leaked allegedly leaked you can never trust a leak because the NX fooled us all. Uh, the map connects and you can see things where they overlay and if this isn't a leak then kudos to whoever took the time to create this kind of map and layout and, and fuel my, my fandom for my one of my favorite games and also my by far my favorite Rockstar game. Um, yeah, Red Dead 2 is, or I guess Red Dead 0, <laughs> or <laughs> whatever it would be. Red Dead, not Revolution, Red Dead but not redemption but somewhere in between it's connected. A new Red Dead, you guys. Is this what about, real? What about, what about Red Dead Reboot? Red Dead Reboot. I like Red Dead Inception. <laughs> it would need to be an R, though, right? Yeah, I guess it would need to be an R. You're right. Red mm-hmm. Dead Reception. <laughs> <laughs> You're a bellhop at the beginning of the game. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I'm I'm stoked for this game. Uh, you know, some of the... It was from Tech Radar where the source came out, and it's not only real, the map that was leaked is real, but it's a very recent art direction for... Um, for the game and that it should be a prequel and then also that uh, coming out of the a different story but related where oh man my my mind is blanking but there's a, a potential large 150 million dollar lawsuit happening at Rockstar or starting to happen right now one of the other oh, well I want to say Leslie I'll look it up but it's suing the Housers and, and he worked on Red Dead Redemption in a big way and came in and fixed that game as it neared completion and so there are also rumors that 
some of the stuff that went wrong with Red Dead and why it took so long and maybe why this game is taking so long might come out in this lawsuit if it goes forward. It's an exciting time, I think, from a a business like how does Rockstar work, (laughs) Voyeur, and also um, more Red Dead, hopefully. I, Live chat has your back, Christian. Leslie Benzies. Leslie Benzies, yes. It's like, actually, Jess, it's, Jesse uh, Hayes. It's like Benzines. It's pronounced weirder than it looks. But yes. Phenom- phenomenal name. Just great name. I've been messing up names all morning. I apologize, everybody. I'm, I'm, just, a, I'm just messing it all up. <laughs> I apologize. Um, I, but I did figure out the name of, of what it should be. If, if it's a prequel to Red Dead Redemption, it should be Red Dead Demption. <laughs> redemption the second time right anywho um <laughs> uh this is interesting and this is interesting again we got we got this map and we have a uh, unnamed source who confirms that this map who that is had, totally that, leslie right it has to be. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah uh some interesting stuff this map has islands and you know the first red den you couldn't swim so so you got to get an island somehow uh I wonder if you can swim or if there's boats or what what that's all about uh, they think it's a prequel because they're, you know, in the areas of the map where there were train tracks in Red Dead Redemption. There are no train tracks here, so they think that it is before that game takes place, before the train tracks were laid. Uh, and another interesting little tidbit is that in the bottom right of the map is an area called New Bordeaux, which is the setting for Mafia 3, which is another Take-Two interactive game that's coming out this year. So there's some speculation there may be a weird sort of shared environment there or shared map potentially, or maybe there's some crossover in a weird way, although they take place, you know, hundreds of years apart, uh, or I, I guess about a hundred years apart. Um, interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm excited too. Red Dead Redemption is, is one of the great games of all time. I think we can all agree on that. And certainly uh, the fact that they've been working on it this long uh, makes me very excited. Blake, you have a, are you excited about this idea? Uh, Definitely, and I would say I know literally nothing uh, like secretive about Red Dead or if there's going to be a sequel. I will say though, anytime but if a you game did, you would have to say that anyway. So it's... <laughs> true, true, yes, I will say anytime a game sells as many copies as Red Dead did, it's I mean it's literally one of the biggest new IP launches in the history of video games. You'd be crazy to think they wouldn't make another one. So whether this is real or not, I'm very confident that there will be another Red Dead, um, and very much look forward to it. Uh, I will throw out if there's a if the new that new Bordeaux thing is uh, news to me. I wonder if this is the beginning of the Rockstar Cinematic Universe, for lack of a better word. There you go. Everybody needs a cinematic universe. Exactly. Well, I think yeah. it'd be cool if if it was the same map but a hundred years different. Like even if there was never a further connection than that, but that's just the part of the world that you're in, and then you do an, someone you know you do an overlay and you see. Like I love sitting at um, you know Wilshire and looking at Wilshire at like 1900 versus 1920 versus 1950 and like how that area just developed here in Los Angeles. And I think a game version of that where games are set 100 years apart would be really cool and, and, and totally unnecessary, but something that Rockstar, if anyone, could very well pull off and just be like, yeah, we did that. Deal with it. <laughs> then, you, then you get you find some gold bullion in the Red Dead game and you can bury it. And then later in the Mafia game, you can dig it up. And you found the gold bullion that you buried 100 years ago. Honestly, that sounds awesome. I know you're right? joking, but that sounds That's awesome. So uh, I like what uh, Chrysophase says in the, in the chat. He said, uh, what about Red Dead Revived? And it's the VR edition of Red Dead. I'm in for that. Man. Rise, I think it's 1882, said Red Dead Reloaded, which I also think is a pretty great name. That's pretty good. Um, 
So my story of the week, I mean, I, I'm definitely going to talk about the Insomniac news that, that hit this morning. Uh, I went to their event where they announced it this weekend, and I'll be talking about that in the playlist because I got hands-on with those games. So that is big news, but we'll be hitting on that later. Um, I, I might as well – oh, man, there's two stories that I'm really torn by. I, I want to talk about Titanfall 2 and get you guys' excitement. Let's just do that right now. Uh, because we're talking about sequels that we want. And we saw a teaser this week for Titanfall 2, which evidently is going to be announced at EA's big uh, E3 press conference, which is going to be a new thing this year where they're going to have this off-site thing where you can public can go to it and all that stuff. Uh, we saw a very, very short, very, um, you know, non-specific <laughs> trailer teaser that uh, didn't reveal very much, but it confirms that Titanfall 2 is happening and shows some sort of cool sword thing that your mech is going to be able to have, which is rad. I am super excited about a Titanfall 2. I just thought Titanfall had so much potential, and I really wanted a single-player component to that. The fact that it sounds like we're going to get that in Titanfall 2 has me very jazzed. Blake, what do you think Titanfall 2 needs to have uh, in order for it to sort of fulfill the promise of what Titanfall was, or maybe Titanfall already fulfilled that promise for you? No, I, you know, I think you nailed it with the single player. Uh, you know, a couple years ago, there was a, you know, Evolve, you had Titanfall, you had a bunch of people trying to see uh, if you could do a $60, even Brink, I think, was a good example. Could you do a $60 box retail product that was primarily, you know, was either single uh, multiplayer only or primarily multiplayer? And I think the market kind of said, not really. Um, you know, Titanfall actually did pretty well, and it, and it had a large marketing team behind it, and 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 Microsoft sort of backed it. Um, and I think, considering it came out when it did, and being a console exclusive to Xbox One and Xbox 360, it, the sales were probably great. Um, but I think adding a single player component to it, I personally prefer games that have a beginning, middle, and end. And then, for whatever reason, having a good single player game makes me like the multiplayer more. So, one of my all time favorite multiplayer experiences was Uncharted 2's multiplayer. Uh, and that, you know, obviously has one of the best single player campaigns of all time. So it's sort of just like steeps you in the world and gives you maybe like some false sense of context to what you're doing in multiplayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, I think that alone, a, a strong single player campaign, which I think has already been like literally said in public that they're going to do that. Uh, and then also obviously being on PlayStation 4 as well as Xbox and PC will be massive. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Christian, you have anything to add to that? I just hope, and it was said here in the in the chat by Jesse Hayes, that I, I hope it's single player and it's single player and not, you know, uh, arena bot mode or like Street Fighter Fives. We have a story mode, and no, you don't. Street Fighter. 5. Well, they had. I mean, they, that that's what they did the first Titanfall. So I would say now that they're saying that there is a single player campaign, I think they are saying that there's no way it will be the the bot mode because they kind of had that the first time. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. But I would love co-op. I'll tell you that I would love co-op campaign. You know, I would love a sort of you know, Call of Duty or Halo-esque, you know, significant campaign where I get to be in that world and be awesome and jump in and out of mechs with my buddies. Uh, I think that would be so fun. I'll take that and no multiplayer. And that's just me. (laughs) Yeah. That's the game where I am, so. Uh, But the story I really wanted to pick, and I I think this is a good story to talk about with Blake here as well, is uh, this news that hit uh, this morning that we're getting a new Twilight Zone movie i guess i guess you have to call it a movie (laughs) but it's going to be an interactive experience so we're sort of in that middle ground between what's a movie and what's a video game and ken levine uh of bioshock fame is going to be heading it uh i guess he's going to be um working on the script and he had an interview with wired where he's talking about 
making it interactive, making the, uh, the viewer of the narrative have some sort of input into where the story goes and that no matter what you choose, there'll be some sort of twist ending in the uh, you know, classic Twilight Zone fashion. But you never turn your camera to look out the plane window. You're just on a plane that crashes. And you're just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You never <laughs> notice the crazy creature outside. Um, I'm so curious as to, as to what your take on this is, Blake, and, and where you think we are with interactive narrative experiences and, uh, and how you'd like to see that presented to you. I mean, is that a... Is this a console game? Is this something you play with your remote control on a television? Or what, what do you want to see here? Yeah, so this is this actually, and I don't even think you knew this when you just sort of threw it my way, Jeff, but I actually know a lot about uh, this specific this, this specific thing. Uh, so I have to, let me tread lightly real quick. Uh, first off, I will say I'm actually also uh, one of the biggest Twilight fans, Twilight Zone fans, <laughs> and and Twilight loved loved the twi- <laughs> loved the Twilight series. But uh, I have more my important, editing work cut out for yeah, me. <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, I'm a huge, huge, huge Twilight Zone fan. Um, so this and and I'm also Bioshock is is my favorite game of all time. So this is sort of a match made in heaven. Uh, Ken Levine doing this. Um, I have you know the company Interlude. Uh, maybe unknown to gamers, but it's not uh, that secretive. I don't know, Jeff. Did you mention that Interlude's a part of this or no? I haven't yet, but no, you're okay. right. Yeah, yes. go ahead. So, so uh, Interlude is a uh, you know a startup, I guess, but a very well funded startup um, backed by a lot of various companies in Hollywood. Uh, and the idea is it will be uh, basically an interactive storytelling platform. Uh, if you Google Interlude, it's not that secretive what they're up to and and what they've been doing. Uh, and there are already examples online of what they uh, can do and are planning on doing. Um, I believe they also already announced that they're doing a War Games uh, with Interlude. Yeah, and, for, based on the film with Matthew Broderick, the old War yeah. Games film. Yeah, that's pretty yes. cool. Good. I'm glad that that was announced. I was worried for a second. <laughs> just, no. Just, uh, a secret. Okay. So uh, Interlude's really cool. I've seen, I've met with them. I've seen their technology. It's pretty amazing. The idea is basically that you will be able to watch, think of like a YouTube video, uh, you know, but, uh, and I mean that only in that it lives on the web and you will sort of do a choose your own adventure as a narrative plays out. So what that means for Twilight Zone specifically, I I truly have no idea, Uh, but Ken's amazing. It's an amazing IP. I hope it, you know, helps relaunch it for the modern age. I will say, uh, I hope it's in black and white, but I have a feeling it won't be. But to me, Twilight Zone is black and white, and mm, that's part. That's part of what makes I don't know when I, I a colored you know a color version of Twilight Zone just doesn't feel like Twilight Zone to me. But you know we'll see. Twilight Zone is black and white, while its morality is always shades of gray. Is that what you're nice. trying to say? Oh, Stats exactly. one in the chat said, uh, "I want there to be a level where there's a bunch of audio logs, but my hearing aid battery breaks," <laughs> <laughs> which is a nice mashup of Twilight Zone and uh, Ken Levine. <laughs> this is interesting. I, you know, I, I think that every time someone has tried something like this, it hasn't really worked well yet, um, and it certainly seems like they've got a lot of talent here. Um, Sam Barlow, uh, which was the her story creator, is the creative director. And uh, Nancy Tellum, who is chief media officer at Xbox Entertainment Studios, is uh, is working there as well. So you know they got, they have some great talent involved, and certainly Ken Levine is experienced in conveying Twilight Zone esque stories with an interactive element. Um, 
I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit skeptical, to be honest, about sitting down and watching a story and being asked at certain points to make decisions. <laughs> I, I, I don't yeah. know if that's something I want to do. I, I like the idea of playing stories. I do that all the time. I enjoy Heavy Rain and I enjoy lots of stuff like that. But this kind of sit back and watch something for 20 minutes and then get to a branch and pick one or the other, I'm not sure that's something I actually want or, or need. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be like anything else, right? So, and we'll get to VR later, and, and this is a feeling I have there as well. But once you get past the novelty of the newness, it's all about whether or not what you're doing is good and compelling. And if Ken or, or Sam, as you said, or any other one of these creators that, that they're working with creates an amazing story that happens to have interactivity at certain junction points, then everyone will be into it, right? It's yeah. the first, yeah, like it's as simple as that. You make good stuff, people want to consume it. Uh, I'm sure there was a time where you may have said, I don't know if I want to watch an entire season of House of Cards in two days. And then <laughs> right. all of a sudden, <laughs> and all of a sudden, House of Cards came out and it was amazing. And we have now, I don't know if I want to watch shows week to week. Sure. So, yeah, no, I, I, you're right. You know, good stuff is good. And, and, you know, that's pretty much the end of the story. But I'm just thinking to myself that, do presented with the option ironically of, of of two branching paths one of them leads to new twilight zone episodes or a new twilight zone film written by Ken Levine or a new twilight zone film that lets me make decisions i don't think the decision one is additive i feel like just tell me a cool story that's that's fine or make a video game where i'm making decisions constantly i i don't know about this whole choose your own adventure kind of idea but christian what's your feeling about it i have faith in the people behind this so i'm optimistic until proven otherwise i think you know i'd be perfectly fine with playing the walking dead season one but with prettier graphics and better presentation and a few less decisions if that's what that that, if that's what that trade-off was and i didn't awkwardly walk my character around a drugstore looking for pushing x over everything of not that's not the pills those aren't the pills those aren't the pills those aren't the pills if it's like a great story told beautifully and then at some point i need to do something and i need to be involved and again it needs to be seamless in that way too it can't be annoying the way some youtube videos are because there are choose your own adventure youtube videos already but they pop yeah. up as annotations and it's like go here to see if i should put my bangs this way go here to see if I should <laughs> frost my tips go here if i should tell my mom to get out of my room like i don't need that but no, uh, and, and I, I will say christian from my from what i know and the conversations i've had i think it will be uh like the better of the examples you were giving about you know it's not like every five seconds you're making a decision it's it's certain junction points you know Let's just say, for example, in a 30-minute show, and don't, I don't know if this is exactly what it's going to break down to, but in a 30-minute show, every 10 minutes, there's like a junction point. And so there'll be like three key decisions that lead to a difference in your ending. Uh, I will say for, for both of you and also the listeners at home, if you want to see how impressive Interludes Tech is uh, and how it's not like the YouTube videos you were talking about, they did an uh, interactive Bob Dylan video a few years ago, which people may remember because it actually went pretty viral, uh, for Like a Rolling Stone. Uh, where you could switch the channels and every different TV channel, people were singing along with the song. If you look up just like interlude Rolling Stone, or sorry, yeah, interlude Bob Dylan or interlude like a Rolling Stone, it should show up. It's an incredible example of how seamless their tech is. There's like 20 different channels you switch through, and every time you switch, it's almost instantaneous and it's completely synced up with the song. It's very impressive. And press one to who the who and press two to do who do do. But I think, Jeff, to your point about it being added, I want more of that. Uh, additive, 
is I think there is something cool about Twilight Zone always ends badly, right? In some form or fashion, someone is getting screwed over in Twilight Zone. And I think there's something cool about knowing that your particular ending, you, you screwed someone over. Did you get Mark's wife killed? Or did you, are you the reason that Mark, you know, lost both his arms in that explosion? Or whatever it is, like, you being in control of this horrible ending, or, or being because of you, your fault, I think adds some weight to the end of being like, oh, life is awful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I'm excited for the super duper meta, like you are in the Twilight Zone episode yeah, and you didn't even right. realize it. Yeah. W- exactly. Would you kindly tell Mark which way to screw his life <laughs> exactly. over? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, Spoilers. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let me uh, let me take a second and thank our sponsor. I mean, if, if the decisions that you're making in video games are keeping you up at night, which they do sometimes. Uh, it's probably because you're not sleeping on the right mattress, he said, stretching that. No, that was, very, that was actually phenomenal. You like that? Yeah, that was great. Uh, you know, it, we all struggle with, with, with decisions, but at least you can get a good night's sleep if you have a, a good mattress. And if you're sleeping on a crappy mattress, if you're sleeping on a mattress you've been sleeping on for a long time, I'm telling you, guys, totally honestly, I kept a mattress all through college and beyond and I was having bad sleep, and I was waking up uh, sore and achy, and I never put it together. I was never smart enough to realize that I actually needed a new mattress, that, hey, your mattress goes bad, and it, it actually needs to be replaced. But the idea of like going into a store and dealing with the salespeople and laying down on a mattress for a minute and a half and going, oh, yeah, I like this one, and the guy goes, okay, well, that's $2,000, and you go, oh, no, I'm just going to keep this crappy mattress. I'm sure I'm fine. All of that is such a deterrent to fixing the problem. It's so awesome that something like Casper exists that really fixes those problems and lets you fix your sleeping problem. Because Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses, and they sell them to you for a fraction of the pot price that you would find in a store because they don't have to have the overhead of a store and salespeople. And better than that, you don't have to make a decision by laying on a mattress for a minute and a half Instead, they're going to let you keep your mattress for 100 days before you have to decide whether or not you want it. See, what happens is you get online, you order your mattress, it comes to your house, it ships to your house directly there. It's really cool. It comes all like rolled up, really cool. You unpack it, super easy. It comes with this neat like unpacking packet where you, uh, you have a little knife that lets you co- pop it open and it inflates in your house. It's not, it doesn't inflate, but it's memory foam, so it like unfurls. And, uh, and then you get to sleep on it and decide whether you like it. And you can spend over three months. You can spend 100 days deciding whether or not this is the mattress for you before you decide whether or not you want it. And if you decide that you didn't end up liking it, they'll come to your house and take it away. You don't even have to pack it up and send it off again. They'll, they'll come and take it. Uh, so you have so much time to make your decision. And even better, it's less expensive than these big chain mattress stores. You're getting like 500 bucks for a twin-size mattress, 950 for a king. This is incredible. Compare that to industry averages, you're saving a ton. Even more cool is because you listen to DLC, you can save even more money. We're going to give you 50 bucks off. All you got to do is go to casper.com slash DLC. That's C-A-S-P-E-R dot com slash DLC. Use the promo code DLC when you check out. They'll give you 50 bucks off. You can try out your mattress for 100 days before you have to make a decision. It's great. These are really comfortable, cool, high-end mattresses for a fraction of the price. Casper.com slash DLC and use that promo code DLC. 
All right, guys, uh, there's a couple other stories here, but I want to get to the stuff we've been playing because we got a lot to talk about. So let's do that now with the playlist. Ooh, you playing this week? Tell us. Ooh, you playing this week? Tell us on the playlist. Blake, uh, you've been playing a lot of stuff. Where do you want to start? Yeah, so, uh, you know, my gaming oftentimes I find comes in fits and starts and Luckily, I'm doing this show at a time where I have been playing quite a lot of games right now. Uh, let's start with Quantum Break. Okay. Uh, this is a game I, I believe you guys talked about last week or the week before. Uh, your guest at the time, uh, Paul, I believe, was not so into it. Jeff, I remember you were not so into it. That's correct, yeah. Uh, I am here to be the voice of reason. Oh, good. I'm glad we have one of those. Yes. I have, uh, <laughs> I have very strong thoughts on this game. So, I, First off, it's, it's not perfect, right? Very few games are. Uh, I guess my thoughts, and I'm about halfway through, my thoughts on Quantum Break could basically be summarized like this. This generation, I think we can all agree, has been a little disappointing. I don't want to say it's been totally disappointing, but it's been a little disappointing. We're not getting strong new IPs. We're already talking about PS 4.5 and Xbox 1.5 and, and whether or not these things were underpowered from the get-go. Um, some of the new IPs that have launched have kind of been duds, yada, 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 Right? This is a game that, regardless of whether or not it's a perfect 10 or not, goes for it all. It tries to blow the roof off of off of everything. Like Mm -hmm. everything about it. The graphics are incredible. There's a there's a 20 minute uh, real life live action story, you know, about every hour. Which again, you know, I've heard people compare that to a uh, a sci fi TV show. You know. That's, that's, you know, that's pretty strong considering that this is inside of a video game. True. Um, and there are just moments in this game uh, that honestly I've, are jaw-dropping in terms of graphics and what your character can do. You know, one of the things that I read that I think encapsulates the game really well is it's less cover-based shooter, which I think is maybe what some people think it is, and more superhero game where you also can shoot. Because this game, right. as you're stringing together the powers, there are moments in these... And at first I was actually struggling with it because I was trying to play like a traditional cover-based shooter. You know, get into a place, stay, you know, stay behind cover and just pop and, and then rarely use my powers. But it really wants you to be using your powers. Uh, and for those who don't know, in the game, you know, there's a catastrophic you know, time-breaking thing that happens and your character sort of gets these powers that allow him to like bend time and, and do various time-based things, slow things down create these like time bubbles, really cool stuff, um, all done to really, really cool effect in the game. And this game really wants you to be using those powers at all times to the point where the UI is actually very minimal, but one of the few things that's up in the UI at all times is sort of on the right-hand side. It shows you all of your powers uh, that are available to you, and each one has sort of a cooldown effect, and that's like the one thing that's on the screen at all times. Um, and they're pretty I, brief cooldowns. It, it, it does encourage brief. you to use them often. Yeah. Correct. Yes. There's very, very few times where I'm like, wish I could spam more. It feels like I'm always right as soon as I would want to use it. It's available to me again. Um, and I would just encourage everybody uh, to play this game. Again, I'm not saying it's perfect, but in a world where I feel, I personally feel starved for amazing jaw-dropping games, I think this game it has points in it that are absolutely jaw-dropping. Well, we have got a lot of emails supporting your position, I have to say, Blake. Uh, after, you know, we kind of a, had a one-sided discussion where I was disappointed with it and our guest was disappointed with it. We did get a lot of emails, including one 
that was sent in uh, from Udit. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, although my track record this week, not good. Um, it's, uh, he, he writes, uh, I am Udit from India. Huge fan of your podcast and everything you guys do. You guys are famous worldwide, not just America. Indians also love Jeff's soothing voice. So you knew I was going to read this email. Uh, he says, my email is regarding uh, your podcast where Jeff and the other gentlemen were mercilessly crapping on Quantum Break and calling it a bad game. Quantum Break is not a bad game. There are issues, but it's not a bad game and totally worth playing if you like previous Remedy games. First of all, I don't think we were completely crapping on it, but here we go. Yeah, you, you uh, actually, actually, yeah, you kind of were. All right. He says, there are some <laughs> issues and not everything is executed perfectly, but it's still definitely worth playing because there's a lot of cool, memorable moments. He said, also, Jeff, Jack Joyce, who's the main character of that game, is not a murderer. He is killing monarch soldiers because they are trying to kill him. He is doing all this killing just to defend himself. Just like Nathan Drake mercilessly kills all his enemies, I like mercilessly as as self-defense, by breaking their necks, and Lara Croft kills by slicing their throats with her brutal melee finishers. Both Drake and Lara are not trained military combatants. They're explorers, archaeologists. But both of them still kill hundreds of enemies just to defend themselves. Jack is just doing the same thing. You're criticizing Jack, but not Lara and Drake, because you hate Quantum Break and love (laughs) Uncharted and Tomb Raider games. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Love the podcast. P.S. Christian, you should definitely try the game. Don't judge the game based on reviews. Try it yourself. Uh, Some issues there. Some things there. Uh, First of all, let me just say uh, I don't. I, I, I do criticize Drake and Lara uh, all the time in those reviews for the, you know, Ludo narrative dissonance. And no, I, 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 I just I think... remember you say Drake didn't kill nearly enough dudes in this game. <laughs> Drake brutally defending himself, <laughs> mercilessly uh, self defending. Uh, <laughs> I think that's uh, a show not... title, by the way. Yeah, merciless <laughs> self defense. Uh, I I really appreciate this email. I I'm sad if you think that that's the um, you know that's the takeaway is that I just hate Quantum Break and and love uh, love those other games. I I think it's I just think it's more in stark contrast in Quantum Break and maybe Blake you can speak to this. But I I feel like when you're this kind of this this student who you know is walking onto a campus and then all hell breaks loose and. And it really is grounded in a reality because you are seeing actual actors and you're cutting to live action episodes. It felt even more, uh, in, in more Fortuitous. exactly. Um, I, I don't know if you disagree with that. Uh, I, it's not that I disagree. Like I, I, you're making valid points. I will say it just simply didn't bother me the way it bothered you. Mm-hmm. Um, I will also say. I actually started playing the game, I believe, after your episode where you talked about it. And I remember, like, there actually is a moment, the first time you kill somebody and shoot your gun, there's a cutscene where you're talking to your brother in the game, and there's a moment where he's like, did you just, and, like, your your character is beside himself for about two seconds that he killed somebody, and then obviously goes on to kill hundreds more. But that is more than you see inside of an Uncharted. I actually think Tomb Raider did the same thing uh, in the reboot. The first time you kill somebody, it's a big moment, and then she goes on to kill hundreds of people. So yeah, you know, Ludo narrative dissonance is a thing. Um, sometimes it's more pronounced than others. I, you know, the game that famously spawned the term Ludo narrative dissonance is Bioshock, and that's one of my favorite games of all time. So to me, it's just something I accept um, in video games for now until we can figure out ways that that's not has to be the fun factor. Well, you fix um, it by he's a student going back to school on the GI Bill. <laughs> <laughs> I just think I, I think that. Th- 
the way it feels to me is this game never wanted to be a shooter. And they sort of just felt like because it's a video game and we want to sell a bunch of copies, we need to make it a shooter. And I think the game would have been better and the narrative would have made more sense. And it actually would have been more fun from my perspective if you just use those cool powers in order to circumvent people that are trying to kill you. And you are this kid who's, you know, off he's, – he's sort of – thrown off off base and and improvising his way out of these situations with these powers that he's sort of figuring out as he goes and it would have been much more interesting to me at least to sort of feel like I had to escape and get my you know get my wits about me and try to figure out what's going on because I have these cool time powers than sneaking up on guards and murdering them without them knowing yeah, that yeah doesn't I think, feel like self defense yeah i think you want more infamous less max pan yeah Exactly. Yeah. 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 But whatever. I mean, that's kind of neither here nor there as far as what I thought was not that great about the game. Um, and if I'm glad want, people like it. Yeah. I mean, if you want to feel good about your $300, $400 Xbox One or $500 if you buy day one Xbox One uh, purchase, I would say there's no better game than this to just pop in. And I will say you could safely, it is next gen. It is next gen to the nines. Yeah, it looks great. It absolutely looks great. Um, I feel like it It feels like it doesn't look as great when you're transitioning right into live action because you're like, oh, yeah, we're still not there to live action. But it does look great, um, and, it, and it's fun. And when you're playing with those powers, it's really it really is cool. Uh, it just never really clicked together for me, and, and um, I felt like the puzzle elements were really clunky and poorly executed, and there's a lot of that in the game, and um, I don't know. It just... It just did not impress, and I it bums me out because I love Remedy, and I was rooting for this game a lot. It's not because I just hate Quantum Break. I, I really wanted it to be good, I have uh, but my, I'm glad you liked it. I have my eye out for a price. Oh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I was so excited because you can get it relatively cheaply on PC, but uh, from what I can tell, the PC build still isn't super stable, and it's best to go Xbox One if you have the option, but Xbox One is still sitting around like 47 bucks. And Blake, I trust you. Like you and Jeff are probably the two people I trust the most about. Like you and Garnet, like you three are like my tent poles for gaming. You guys have very different tastes, but also my stuff aligns with you, if that makes sense. And this game, I feel like I'm watching my parents fight. So I just <laughs> well, I yeah, I mean, I love loving things like Jeff, and so it's, this is this is very surprising. <laughs> well, I will say to their credit, Remedy did come out with a statement this week talking specifically about each point of contention about the pc release yeah. and uh addressing what they're doing to you know remedy no pun intended remedy those situations <laughs> um so yeah so it, it sounds like the pc version is going to have a, a bunch of performance improvements coming over the next weeks to months so that's good news as well um what else is on your playlist blake yeah so going from uh triple a to uh, what some people would call triple i uh, have you guys played <laughs> have you have you guys played a uh, hyper light drifter no, we talked about it a little last week, and uh, the more I hear about it, the more I'm, I'm convinced it's not really going to be the kind of game I, I want to play, but are you digging it? Why do you, why do you say that before I, before, I die, before I go in? You know what's silly? It's just super silly, but and I freely admit that, but yeah. I'm kind of done with the pixel aesthetic. What? This game looks okay. so beautiful. Yeah, all right, all right, great. I'm gonna jump. I'm gonna jump in. So this is not the this game is not the pixel aesthetic. This is not. I don't know how much you've seen in motion, but I would say this is not like a. I don't know. The first thing that came to mind for some reason was that game Idarb or even Fez. This game, right. 
is more linked to the past. Now, with a slightly different color palette, but to me, this is not like a hyper-pixelized game. It is absolutely gorgeous. Um, I played 11 hours of this game in two days, which for me is absolutely insane. Um, it awesome. is, yes, it is, uh, again, like Link to the Past, uh, a little bit more difficult than a Link to the Past, a little bit more Twitch-based. Um, it is difficult, this game. You will die a lot, but I do like, not, you know, one of the things that I don't love about the Dark Souls, Dark Souls series is you might round a corner and just get killed immediately, and there was just no way to know that until basically trial and error, right? You had to die the first time yeah. to know that that was going to happen or read it online. And in this game, every time that I... I die in this game. I feel like it's my fault. I can do better. I didn't better react. Or worse. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's better. I literally was playing this game to my hands hurt. Um, I, you know, for any fan of sort of uh, Link to the Past, which is is you know with Bioshock is probably my favorite game of all time. Um, and games like it, this is a great homage to that. I would say modernized. Um, and it's really cool. The game set up where there's a north, a south, an east, and a west. And uh, you can go north, east, or west at the beginning of the game. So it's sort of nonlinear. And then you have to do all three of those before you can go south, which is exactly where I am. And that's where I last left off. Um, really memorable moments. Beautiful score. Absolutely gorgeous, um, I guess, color palette, for lack of a better word. It's kind mm -hmm. of like pink. There's like lots of pink and, and magenta. It's, it's, really, it's really something else. I cannot recommend it enough. Wow. Well, that's uh, that's convincing. I'm uh, I may have to try this one. Uh, is it the kind of thing where uh, you're starting out with one life, you only have one life, and if you die, you have to start at the beginning, or you kind of pick up where you left off? No, there are there are checkpoints scattered throughout. So it's mm. uh, it's it's one of those where there's open it's open world, and you eventually come across a, a sort of I don't it's like a diamond, and if you hit the diamond with your sword, that becomes your checkpoint, and mm -hmm. then if you respawn, you respawn there. Um, there is definitely not a lot of like I said, there's a lot of dying, but there's not a lot of, oh, my God, I just lost an hour. That's not okay. how it feels. That's not how it feels at all. It's literally like, oh, my God, that boss just killed me. I died, and now I'm, like, right in front of that dungeon again, and I walk in, and the boss is right there. Awesome. Okay. Like I said, like I said difficult but fair, and I'm not the type. I usually bounce off of games that are this difficult, to be honest. And if it wasn't, A, so amazing, and B, like I said, it feels like it's your fault when you lose, I would have already broken my controller, but instead... It's made me, you know, it's the type of game I want to be better at and finish. It's really, really something else. I'm going to have to give it a shot because, uh, you know, I, I, I'm embarrassed about how much aesthetic matters to me. You know, the fact that I'm playing The Division so much, I think, has so much to do with the fact that I just like being in that world. It's and It's so, so beautiful. Though. It's so beautiful. And I, if this game looked like Bastion... I mean, I loved playing Bastion. Bastion's still one of my favorite games of, of that generation. And if if it looked like Bastion, I would be all over this game. And just because I'm just sort of a little sick of that retro aesthetic, I kind of wrote this off. So maybe I'll have to swallow that a little bit and, and give it a better shot. I think, I think what you'll see is um, there's a density and a lushness to the graphics in general. So yes, I do see where you're getting the idea that it's sort of pixelated because it is sort of a really, really, really hot HD sort of 16-bit type aesthetic. Um, but I will say that the level of detail in the environment is so much beyond a you know SNES game that it feels like a modern version of that. It's the same thing with uh, Enter the Gungeon. Like, I, I feel like I would love that game, but I'm just so turned off by 
<laughs> the visual element of it. I, I'm kind of over that whole Devolver media look. And uh, I know I feel, I feel a little bad about that, like Bro Force and Enter the Gungeon and all those Devolver games. I'm just like, okay, if, if you just had a, a, a different pass on the visuals, I would be so much more excited. And I know that's unfair of me, but it's, I don't know I if it is unfair. I mean, one, I think it's good to be honest with your feelings and opinions. And if that's, I mean, gaming, a big part of it, and even when we were little, you know, when you start gaming, is graphics pulling you in, right? Early Nintendo games, the front of the box were the graphics of the game. <laughs> Those graphics look like garbage now, but I remember Except- being little and being blown away, being like, this Excitebike guy's going so high off this ramp, this game's going to be crazy. And, I mean, it's a, bit, it's, a, it's a big, big part of it. And if, you, if one part of the game, the thing that your eyeballs will be looking at for 11 hours in two days <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> You know, I make, it makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, of eyeballs looking at things, um, you've been playing a little Lucky's Tale on the old Oculus because, you know, you're one of the, what, six people that actually has an Oculus right now? <laughs> yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to. I feel pretty uh, guilty about that. Um, Says guy I was, who works at largest agency in the world. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I didn't know if you had wanted to jump into VR now or if we were going to have like a separate VR discussion because I know Jeff... Uh, your Vive pre-order has finally gotten like a confirmation code. Should arrive tomorrow, um, baby. Oh, should arrive snap. tomorrow. Yeah, so that's when are you awesome. Over, Christian? Tomorrow? Yeah, let's do it. Are you? Did you already clear out a room? I did. I've literally spent I spent all day yesterday clearing space and figuring out where I'm going to mount my sensors and like making sure I have enough room and and getting rid of some things to make sure that there's like floor space. I'm so excited. It's like. I did more work here than I have on like the baby nursery for my baby, <laughs> which don't tell my wife that. But yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, so I have been playing. I've been playing. I have Oculus and Vive here at the office. Uh, I've been playing a lot of the launch. Uh, I almost want to say material rather than games. Um, I will say, especially on the Vive, there's a lot of what I you know glorified tech demos that are really, really, really impressive. Like absolutely incredible one of the things i've been doing here at uta is obviously running through some of my colleagues and some of our clients that that have interest in the vr space or just want to see what all the hype's about right and so i've been running people through um all sorts of different experiences and i will say the vive demo is better than the oculus it's more it is in short bursts more mind-blowing than the oculus you can walk around i actually think the main reason it's more mind-blowing is because it's shipped with the controllers Right. I think once the, once the touch comes for Oculus, the parity will be much, much closer, I think. Um, but, but, you know, I'm a gamer. You're a gamer. Uh, Christian, I'm not sure. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I think once you get the – I have a feeling that next week you're going to be like, the vibe's the most incredible thing ever. And then very quickly, I think the next week after that or the week after that, you're going to say, I can't wait until people start putting out meteor games for these things because – as gamers, again, like the novelty will wear off very quickly for VR. And like we talked about with Interlude earlier, things just have to be good. And at the end of the day, once you get used to the fact that you actually have virtual reality, you're like, okay, now I want good content. Like I got all the tech demos out of the way, and now I want somebody who's going to blow my mind. Right. So that transitions very nicely into Lucky's Tale. Lucky's Tale is one of the games that uh, ships with the Oculus Rift. Everybody who gets an Oculus Rift gets Lucky's Tale for free. Uh, for those who don't know, it's sort of a 3D platformer a la Mario 64. Um, maybe even a better example is like a Crash Bandicoot um, because it's not really as open world. It's more 
it's 3D, but along a guided path. Uh, Lucky's Tale is an amazing example of how VR enhances what is already a good game. So, uh, Jeff, I assume you've played Lucky's Tale in demos and stuff like that, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's a really fun, charming 3D platformer, which, like, funny enough, sometimes you notice, like, these trends in video games and things start to come back. I feel like this is, like, the 2016 slash 2017 is, like, the year of the return of the 3D platformer. Right. Uh, you've got, like, ukulele coming out, and everyone keeps thinking that Sony's going to announce a new Crash Bandicoot. Um, Lucky's Tale is just an awesome 3D platformer that is made better by being in VR. Perfect example. So you're going, you're playing this game, first few levels, you're in VR, you can look around, but there's no parts that are really uh, VR necessary. Right. And then all of a sudden, without any sort of, you know, tooltip or anything like that, you'll just reach a point, it's like level three or something like that, where you realize, but almost intuitively, like it's not even like a thing, they don't even make a big deal of it. In order to make this jump, I need to lean forward and a little bit to the left. And as soon as that happened, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Because <laughs> that's because, what I do sitting on my couch anyway that, when, I'm, yeah. when I'm playing those platforming games. I'm like, just get to the... Oh, my God. Speaking of which, the game I talked about last week, um, uh, Welkin Road, there are so many times when I was like, leaning forward and trying to get to the... Th- oh, and the body English does nothing. Finally, we have a little body English helping out. And, it's the, and again, it's that moment where you realize that you didn't realize that you needed to do... Like, you literally just did it. You're like, I can't make that jump. I'm going to lean forward. And then all of a sudden it hits you like, wow, no video games ever had me do that before. And it like mattered. And it's, it's really great. And it makes me really look forward to more gamey games for VR. Um, yeah. And also third person games. I'm really, I did uh, Edge of Nowhere, which Jeff, I'm pretty sure you're about to talk about uh, yes. when you talk about your trip to Insomniac. I did that at E3 last year. Yeah, so did that's I. One of, yeah, and that's one of my favorite things I've ever seen in VR. And that's third person. I, you know, I actually think third person VR is some of the most compelling stuff. It almost feels like um, in Lucky's Tale, your perspective, it's almost like you're the cloud guy in Mario that holds the camera, like right yeah. before every Mario Kart race. You're that guy following Lucky behind him. It's really cool. Well, it's fascinating. I, this is a perfect uh, setup for, for what I want to talk about um, because uh, I got to visit Insomniac this week to have their big reveal of they're doing three VR games that are all actually uh, Oculus exclusives. Clearly, Oculus uh, helped them with some some money to make these games. Um, and a little side note, you know, there's a, a hack right now where you can play Oculus games on the Vive. Any Oculus game you can play on the Oculus, you can play on Vive. And evidently, uh, Oculus is going to put the kibosh on that, which is a bit of a bummer. But uh, understandable. Understandable if they're, you know, ponying up money for exclusive titles. Um, and one of the things that was very clear to me talking at length over the course of, of several hours that I was at the studio with a lot of different developers. And by the way, there's going to be some of those discussions at the end of this episode as bonus content. So get excited for that. Um, but it, one of the things that became very clear to me is how early we are in what is going to be possible on these devices. And the fact that, as you said, a lot of this stuff feels like tech demos right now because so few of these developers had the time that they need to actually make full-on AAA games for these devices because they had to relearn a lot of the things that we take for granted. They, there are people figuring out how to do cameras, how to do third-person games. And you know, one of the developers I was talking to said they experimented a lot with w- different ways to do a third-person camera. 
And, you know, they thought, well, do we need to make a little character, as you were saying, a little character who is the camera? And you're playing as the camera character and, you know, you're just kind of puppeteering another character. Or, you know, did, do we need to have the camera stationary? Do we need to have how much of the game controls where you're looking at? Do we detach it from your head? All of these things are completely new. And one of the things they kept reiterating over and over is comfort for the first time is really king and it's all about making it as comfortable a process and you know reducing reducing nausea and making you feel like you're not strained and you're not forced to spin your head around and all those things that allow you to play these triple a games over a long period of time uh, some interesting solutions uh, i played uh, a half an hour of edge of nowhere um at e3 we, we played like you know five minutes and uh they, they had a much chunkier segment this really does feel like a full game now there's like stealth segments where you're trying to get around these these monsters and you're distracting them and you're shooting them and there's it's really really cool uh, all the stuff of the exploration and making giant leaps over chasms still feels as impactful as it did uh, at E3 with the headset on because you're there and you know when you are hanging off the edge of a cliff like you would in in uncharted or tomb raider it's pretty cool, but when you do it in VR and you can actually look down and see how far you might fall, it's a completely different level of immersion and, and you know, visceral feeling. Um, but, you know, they've added these things that really make it feel like a game. You're, you know, you're getting audio logs and learning more about the story and you have these, these narrative moments. There's cutscenes and different ways to do cutscenes in VR is interesting, and you'll hear me talk about that with the developer. Um, but, you know, there's actual combat and how you aim with your eyes really is is pretty cool and distracting these monsters as you get go by them and throwing rocks to sort of set off uh, other bombs in the area to blow them up. It feels like a game. It feels like a real third-person action game. The downside and the thing that I came away with realizing is it's going to be a long time, I think, sadly, before – we get games that look like The Division or The Witcher 3 uh, in VR. The, the, the technical requirements of getting a game to run at 90 frames per second twice, because once for each eye, really requires a lot of compromise on how games look. And so we're really taking a step backwards. Now, Edge of Nowhere looks awesome. And they use, they're really smart in how they manage to get the most out of that game and there are moments where it just looks gorgeous but it doesn't look as good as the witcher and it doesn't look as good as the division and it's going to be a while before that happens and, that, and that's a bit of a bummer to me um but still the experience is is awesome and it does feel like a full-on triple a game in in the vr environment which is awesome can i ask you a question blake like for someone who spent eyes on time in this in these things and you know home use or whatever Mm-hmm. How does it feel to go back to flat gaming or whatever we call that, 2D gaming? Do you, when you're sitting there playing, uh, I forget what game you said you were playing. Quantum Break. Yeah, Quantum Break. When you go back and you're playing Quantum Break, is it still as fun as it was before VR entered your life? Or are you sitting there thinking this game would be better in VR? Or are they just different experiences? Like I can watch House of Cards on my phone and that's fine. But it's, you know, I don't, when I'm watching it on my phone, when I'm in, you know, my car waiting, whatever. And I'm not like, I wish I had my huge TV in here, but when I have my TV, I use it. Or like, what is the experience going back and forth for you? Yeah. So I, I, 
to tie it into what Jeff just said, I would say because the graphical fidelity on a game like Quantum Break is so much different than what you're seeing, you know, Lucky's Tale uh, is awesome. It's really, really fun, but it's it doesn't look like, an, you know, as of now, it does not look like an Xbox One game. It looks like, you know, I don't know, somewhere between a 360 and an Xbox One game or, an, you know. Um, but uh, so that alone, you know, you're, you are getting a higher fidelity experience in the non-VR world. But I would actually say uh, a bigger comparison was we actually got the Vive in about two weeks before we got the Oculus in here. And for, you know, two weeks I was doing Vive only. And as soon as we got the Oculus and I was seated to play Lucky's Tale with a controller and I was sitting down, I was like, oh, yeah, like this is how I like to play video games, seated and with a controller. And, you know, Vive, again, a, a lot of these tech demos, they have you standing and running around and see, and it's great, but it's not relaxing. And I think most of us play video games to chill out and have fun. And so if anything, there's more in common between a Lucky's Tale and, you know, a traditional Xbox One game because you're seated and you have a control in your hand than there is between a Vive and an Xbox One game, which I, I don't know well, exactly where I was going with that, but I think it's an interesting comparison to make. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that brings me to the, to the next game that I saw at Insomniac, which is one of the two on a previously unannounced games that they showed, which is called Unspoken, which is, again is an Oculus exclusive title, but it's going to be part of this sort of second wave of releases, which are the Oculus Touch releases, which will go alongside with the controllers that come out, which hopefully people have headsets before the controller is released, <laughs> which, would, which would be nice to have the second release you know, happen after the first release actually has happened. Um, Anyway, so the idea, but with Unspoken, hopefully you guys have seen it by now. It was just released or announced this morning. This is Harry Potter wish fulfillment. It, it is, you are a wizard in the real modern world. There's this un- underground wizarding fight club that happens in the streets of Chicago uh, that no one knows about because it's, you know, it's at in the space between dimensions or whatever. And you use the Oculus Touch controllers, which map to your hands. You stand and you create spells to fight against other players. It's a PvP first-person fight game. But the way you create the spells in front of you is you are doing these sort of mini-games that, that happen that force you to sort of move your hands through space in various patterns and do things to to fabricate magic spells, which you can then launch against your enemies. So basically what you've got at all times is you've got, at least in the, in the character class that we got to play, you've got a fireball in one hand and a shield in the other hand. So you can always deploy those at any time and cast the fireball and throw it at your enemy. And you are literally charging up a fireball in your hand and then throwing your hand forward to throw it at somebody. Um, which is very cool, and you and it's it, you aim it how you would aim throwing a baseball in real life. You're literally throwing it at somebody, or you're, on the other hand, you're charging up your shield and holding it in front of you to block incoming projectiles from the enemy. So you've always got those at your disposal, but then you've got this spell book that you can pull up at any time that has a variety of spells that require mana. You get mana by collecting orbs in, in the play space. How do you and how do you move through the play space? That is actually the most interesting part. You teleport, which is certainly in line with being a magician. But there are these pedestals all around the the arena. And again, you're in a very confined arena space facing off against another player. It's almost like a, a tennis court, you know, but it's, it looks like a street or an alley or, a you know, a parking structure in Chicago. And there's these like these pedestals or little nodes. 
And just by pushing forward on the the stick, your, the Oculus Touch controllers have little thumbsticks on them. And if you push forward on the stick or you push actually the direction that the pedestal is in relation to yourself, you'll teleport instantly to that pedestal. So basically, you can use it to dodge things that are coming at you by bamfing over to another pedestal in the, at the last second. And you're constantly zipping around the environment, jumping from pedestal to pedestal. And there'll be like little mana balls hovering on one of the pedestals. So you want to teleport to that one to collect those mana balls to charge up these spells. And the spells are all these little mini games that open up in this in this book. So you you open up your book, which is sort of this palette that it erupts out of one of your hands, and then you point at the spell you want, which turns your hand into that spell and then requires you to do some sort of minigame. So, for example, there is uh, an anvil that you can grab and then this – or a, a hammer that you can grab and then this anvil appears in front of you. And you use the hammer and pound in specific areas, sort of like whack-a-mole. You pound on specific places to forge yourself this energy spear that you then get in your hand that you can cast at your enemy, which is more powerful than a fireball. So you're forging – you're literally pounding out and forging something and then using that as a weapon. It's awesome. Does this pause the combat or is the other guy throwing fireballs at you the whole time? Yes. Yes. And that is what is so crazy about this game. It's kinetic. You're jumping around. You're bamfing all around the environment. You're trying to defend yourself. Dodge. You can literally dodge things and use your shield to dodge, to, to block things. The, there are certain nodes that will have like uh, pieces of plywood as, as uh, defenses. So you can you know, teleport behind some plywood. But that plywood can be broken by fireballs. So you're you know, being barraged by fireballs from your enemy. And you're, you know, you're forging yourself something with the hammer and anvil or there's like a paper airplane one where you have to fold a paper airplane and then it turns into this crazy like jet attack that you can throw at your enemy. Uh, there's another one that's like a flock of energy birds that you, you know, conjure in front of you and you have to tap all of them to send them at your opponent. Uh, it, it, there's another one where you can create a shield in front of you to block incoming attacks. So you can basically like create the shield and then you have time to do more spells it's an absolutely incredible game you truly feel like you're a magician you're doing these things you're you know manipulating things in front of you and fighting and it's all happening in real time it's amazing but i played it for you know three matches in a row and i was like i gotta take a break this is a physical it's a physical endeavor you know it's it's exhausting and intense i do envision amazing esports where the esport really is a truly physical thing and people could are I can imagine people getting so good at this game and teleporting at just the right moments and do you can like summon a golem at one point this giant golem is like a super bad guy that will attack your opponent if you get like these super energy um, mana balls that are in the environment I mean there's so much going on and the game looks great because like a lot of these games and Blake I'm sure you'll agree the ones that confine you in a very small space can really jack up the look because they're not it's not like a you know a big streaming environment world like you get in a lot of these AAA games so that the environment looks really authentic and really realistic the 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 magic effects are vibrant and awesome it's just like one of those things where i'm not going to play this for hours and hours or maybe i will and i'll just get super in shape <laughs> it's pretty amazing 
Yeah, no, I think it's, you know, a lot of these things are going to be similar to, you know, we or Dance Dance Revolution or Guitar Hero, right? It's not your go-to, I'm just going to chill out and play games, but it's this incredible experience. And I think Oculus is handling it, you know, the right way in terms of how they're picking the content that they're publishing through Oculus Studios and funding. Uh, it's just a little bit, you know, for now, a lot of firsts, Right. Your first time being a magician in VR is going to be incredible. Now, is that a game you're going to play every day for three hours? Probably not. But it's going to certainly make you really happy that you bought the Oculus Touch, which is probably their goal. I don't know. I mean, I, I could see it, – it's always this question, right, about how many people want to be standing up and doing physical things where they play video games. And I think we can all agree that that's not an everyday video game desire. Well, let, me ask, let, me ask a, let me ask a question, Jeff. Do you have to stand up? Uh, I don't. I don't think you would be able to play this game seated. There, yeah. you, there's so much gesticulation required. Uh, I mean, I, I suppose you could be seated if you like. You know, pushed your chair back from your computer a ways and had room to, you know, wave your arms around. I suppose you could do that, but I mean, it, it really feels like you have to be gesticulating. You have to be throwing your arms around and pointing at things. And the magic of it, uh, no pun intended, is that. You feel like an actual wizard. You feel like a person doing the thing that the fantasy is. I mean, I, I imagined well, that's all because these... you are doing it. You I are mean, doing you, it. You are literally doing it, and then you're seeing fake uh, manifestations of your actions. But it's not as if you aren't doing the actions. Yeah, I kept remembering those, you know, those uh, YouTube videos of LARPers who are like, fireball, fireball, fireball. I was like, I'm doing that, except what's happening is a fireball is erupting out of my hand in, in real time. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. And, I, and yeah, maybe this is a temporary place or maybe people won't want to do this for a long period of time. But the other side is maybe people will. I mean – if we lived in a world where there was no such thing as tennis and somebody is like, how often are you going to want to hit a ball back and forth with a racket and, you know, walk to a park and hit a ball over a net? That sounds ridiculous. But there is a part of me that thinks if you got really into this and you got really good at it and it was super competitive and there was like a scene where you're like fighting as wizards and you're ranking up and you're earning cool rewards. This is awesome. Well, and how cool would it be for the, like, you know, there's eventually if VR takes off the way that we all think it will, then there will be some sort of VR esport, if not multiple. And how cool would it be if observing that was in VR? So oh, you're, yeah. yeah, like you're pl- like the two people are going at it, but then you as an observer at home gets to just like be one of the people in the stands, so to speak, and watch it from that perspective. Yeah. And, and I mean, in a lot of ways, the downside of esports, uh, the, the least telegenic part of esports is when they cut to the faces of the players because almost always they're just sitting staring glossy-eyed at their screens how cool is it if you're watching this incredible wizard match uh, on a stream and in picture in picture is a window of a dude literally doing all of those motions you know and you see the skill that's actually required that doesn't come across when you're just thinking about mouse clicks and you know WASD presses it's a uh, it's a whole other level, and I think could be really entertaining. Uh, the third game, I'll just say really quick, they didn't get to, we didn't get hands on with, but the third, their third big VR game is this game called Feral Rights, which is going to be basically Altered Beast meets uh, Legend of Zelda. Um, it's uh, or they they reference those games, but I think it's actually more like 
Darksiders. It's I was just Dark- going to say, yeah, I, from what I saw today, I was going to say it looks like Darksiders. Yeah, it's Darksiders, but you can transform into a beast at any time. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see more of that game. Again, it's another third-person game, this time with a static camera, kind of like how Kronos does it on, on Oculus. Um, very excited to see more of that. But, again, these these very stylized, very cartoony because the assets that they have to work with are have to be a little step back from state of the art right now because of the frame rate requirements. So it's, it's interesting. Um, but I'm, I'm very bullish on all this. I love the fact that insomniac, a studio of that caliber is as excited about VR as they are. And that Oculus is investing in getting developers of that kind of pedigree building stuff for their, for their platform, because that's what this needs. As you said, as you said, so eloquently that these, we need big, real, experiences that prove that these aren't just waggle tech demos yep christian uh speaking of insomniac you've been playing ratchet and clank right yeah i don't i know you spoke highly of it last week um i still think you might have not spoke highly enough of it this game (laughs) granted uncharted 4 is around the bend and there are many other overwatch many other great games are yet to come right and ones i don't even know about but of my short list this game is up there for my favorite of the year. It is everything that I love about video games, or the beauty of video games, I guess there are so many different types of games to love. But it just like from opening, from from get-go, this game just rekindles that childlike love of wonder and awe, and it's so beautiful. And that this game came out at 40 bucks, you know, Great, everyone should go and buy this game. I, I mean, I, I think people maybe dismiss it. Oh, it's a retelling of the original one on PlayStation 2. Okay, can you tell me what happened in that game? Like, do we really remember? I don't know. I don't know what I did in that game. It's been 20 years or whatever. This game is gorgeous. The combat and the way you move around the world has been updated from, you know, everything Insomniacs learned over the, you know, 400 Ratchet & Clank games they've since done. And every time I get to a new planet, something is jaw-dropping or making me legitimately laugh. I have, um, I think, just 30 minutes up when I was kind of testing the streaming stuff over on on this Twitch channel, which is just twitch.tv, Christian Spicer, if you're listening to the podcast. And I hope that watching a YouTube video or a Twitch video of this captures the beauty of of the game and the fluidity of, I know it's running at 30 frames per second, but the combat feels fluid. You're getting that classic Ratchet and Clank upgrade cycle. And for people who maybe fell out and fell out of love with the Ratchet and Clank games, to me, and now playing this game again, I'm reminded that I think it's the best version of the Lego games ever made. You're not unlocking the characters like that fanboy squealing isn't there. Like Lego games do that very well, where you're like, I'm playing as Falcon, like before anyone knew who Falcon was, pre Avengers or Cap Two or whatever. But, like, you're constantly getting bolts, constantly upgrading your weapons. Just when you think you have a favorite weapon, you get this other crazy weapon that, at first, you might not even know how to use it. You know, like, what's the best way to use this thing? And then you upgrade it because you're getting enough uh, rare metal to upgrade all your weapons anyway. And you're just running into a room and just laying waste to dudes. And this game, I feel like, throws so many enemies at you in the way that the PlayStation 2 and PlayStation 3 versions couldn't. And then... What I think is jaw-dropping is that there are times where you're fighting a wave of enemies and then you can look over in the distance and you see like 20 more enemies, you know, across the vista sitting there interacting with 
a ship that's flying over bombing them that they're also attacking. And I even better than game. that, even better than that, when you when you fight all those hordes of enemies and and you you smash them to bits, all of their their nuts and bolts just like hit you like a tidal wave. And yes. I find that so incredibly satisfying. Yes. I, I cannot sing my praises high enough for this game. If you have passed on Ratchet or Clank before, or if you're holding off, I get it. Maybe wait for it to be even cheaper. But Ratchet and Clank for PS4 is one of the easiest games for me to recommend this year, and including games yeah. last year. It is just, it's so well done, and it's everything I think Insomniac does well, which is just joy and whimsy and the weapons and dial and people ask where is humor in games this game nails it like there's the over the head stuff that's not quite as funny like captain quirk is trying too hard which i think is kind of the point but then you just get offhand comics between comics comments between clank and ratchet that that really work and it's uh it's it's a joy it's just a joy yeah i think it's super oh go ahead no please you I, I think it's super cool that this game, and you said wait for it to be even cheaper. Don't Please don't wait for it to be cheaper. Go buy this game for $40 because I think we need, in order for this industry to survive long-term in the premium space, there needs to be price variability. Not everything should be 15 20 or 60 And I think it's amazing that this game that uh, you know is published with Sony, that is, is a beloved IP that already has a following, was like, you know what? We're going to put it out for 40 It's getting phenomenal reviews. By all accounts online, I think it's actually going to sell well. And how cool would it be if not only did this game do well, but the entire Ratchet & Clank series continued from here on out as a $40 game with 10 hours of content. And all of a sudden, like that, you know, that could be a big win for what I believe is a very important thing, which is you know, $30, $40 should be a viable price point for games, and it shouldn't mean lesser tier quality, which by all accounts, Ratchet & Clank might be the greatest $40 game ever released. Yeah. Well, the good news is it is selling well. It has the it had the best first week of sales of any Ratchet and Clank game ever, which is really saying something because that used to be a top tier IP that would you know be a system seller type yeah. game. Yeah. So that's great. Um, and and you know I'm so pleased. Uh, I got a bunch of tweets over the last week of people saying this wasn't even on my radar, but I picked it up and oh my gosh, you were so right. It's so great. That makes me very happy. <laughs> Another couple of tweets I got. Where people saying, I've never heard of Ratchet and Clank. And you realize, oh my God, it's been 15 years since there was a real mainstream Ratchet and Clank game that came out. You know, like it's, or not came out, but you know, that since this was sort of like the heyday of Ratchet and Clank, it's been a long time. There's people who who really weren't even alive to enjoy those games. Um, So I'm very pleased that this is, is, is returning to form and is sort of better than ever. And, um, it does, you know, it's, it's one of the things that I, I mentioned to the developers when I was there is like it does put into stark contrast what you can do right now on a 2D flat screen compared to what you can do inside VR. Like I want to get inside VR and look around and see a ratchet and clank level of beauty. Would you, there are some things like that that are very small, confined VR spaces, you know, like the uh, the Everest demo and some other some of those other really impressive demos. But they're not these big, long, vibrant games. We need that, and I I'm so excited for when that happens. It's just not happening soon enough for me. I, I'm also you mentioned long. I just want to say I'm perfectly happy with this game being ten hours. Like I think that's perfect and for a forty dollar or six. You know what I mean? Like. Uh, I love that the division can suck all of my time away or destiny, you know, robbed me of uh, watching my daughter take her first steps. <laughs> not not <laughs> worth literally. it, but yeah, worth it. Um, 
But I, I, I love that this game isn't trying to be a 40-hour Ratchet & Clank experience. Like, delve into the open world of Ratchet & Clank. Check out the hub world. Build your farm. Like, that's great. Fallout's great. Uh, but what Ratchet & Clank is doing and the way they're doing it and it's so focused is, is perfect. And someone, uh, Bum on the Run, mentioned, yeah, on my stream, one of the things I love to do for games that I think are beautiful, and this has been a test of mine since, I don't know, probably PlayStation 1, there were versions of this. I like to walk into foliage and see if the leaves, you know, you realistically kind of push them aside or whatever. You don't in this game, but as I was doing that, I, I fell off a cliff. <laughs> yeah, well, serves you right. Yeah. If it, if it was $60, the foliage would move. It better. <laughs> Christian, did you want to briefly talk about your uh, your PC? Oh, yeah, so I talked about it before. People had heard me mention it. Um, I don't have a game to really put it through its paces yet, uh, but my, my PC is here. I was talking about building one. Jeff was going to help. Uh, another friend was going to help, too. And I had all the parts picked out, and I had it priced and was literally ready to push order. And then I saw over on NeoGAF that the HP Envy deal was was back. I had missed it when it was around, I guess, a little after Christmas or whatever. And I looked at the price, and I looked at the specs, and I was like, well, I'm, I'm pulling, the, pulling the trigger on that. Out the door, it cost me $1,200, which is not cheap. I'm not saying this is affordable, um, but it was about $600 cheaper than what I could build myself through PC Part Picker, not, um, you know, scouring the the web for every possible deal but i'm running an i7 with a 980 ti uh 16 gigabytes of ram a 250 ssd boot disc and also kind of my main my main disc like games i'm playing disc and then a two terabyte backup uh you know for archiving things or video editing and stuff like that and then it's you know it's a it's a nice build it's small it's smaller than my old mac pro tower it is OEM where I'm sure there are some components like my fan probably isn't the best as if I were to build my own. But uh, for all intents and purposes, it seemed quiet. I've had some benchmarks done on it and watched you know the temperatures and nothing seemed crazy. My PS4 sounds like a helicopter <laughs> in comparison. And so the only thing I really had to kind of test it is um, the game that I already owned is the Tomb Raider on PC. And I ran it max everything, ultra everything, and was, was cranking out. You know, beautiful uh, over sixty frames, and um, so far, so far, very happy. And it's also helpful for doing this and getting the. If you're on Twitch watching the live stream, you know the i7 is what will make um, my Twitch streams smoother and prettier and uh, and better. It's uh, it's nice to be here, Jeff. It's nice to join. Welcome, you. baby. One have, of us. One yeah, of well, us. Funny enough, I I also just got a new gaming computer. Mine, a gaming laptop, uh, the Dell XPS 15. It's got like a. It's very very nice laptop. It's got a 960M in it. Um, not as good as the 980 Ti, of course. Uh, Chris, I have two questions for you. Did you do you have a 4K TV or a 4K monitor? I do not have either one of those. My monitor is several years old. Uh, I can go 1440p, whatever that is. Um, so that's like two. I think that's technically like 2K, right? So I played one of the first things I did was down because I was getting excited for Quantum Break. I downloaded Alan Wake and I played that at 2K on my laptop, and I was absolutely blown away by what gaming at higher resolutions looks like. Um, it's incredible. It made Alan Wake look better than most games that have come out in this quote-unquote next generation. Who do you represent that's working on a PlayStation 4 no, game, Blake? What are you trying to... <laughs> I can't... I won't touch that. Uh, <laughs> but I... And then I have a second question for you, which is, uh, have, do you... Do either of you have the Steam controller? I do no. not. I am using an Xbox One Elite controller, and that's probably my favorite controller of all time. 
try just give it a try like literally get it from amazon used or something like you, where you can return it or ga- they actually sell it at gamestop just if you don't over. like it just come over yeah exactly i i think <laughs> the steam controller the steam controller is not perfect it's flawed it, it you know it i think valve would even admit that it doesn't feel as premium as an xbox one controller does but it does some really really cool things and it's really really customizable and i actually know i only got it recently but looking back online, it seems like there were a lot of kinks in the software and problems that Valve has since fixed. Uh, one of the key ones being this thing called uh, mouse-like joystick, which is was found out by some NeoGaffer, was the one who literally suggested this to Valve or, or did it themselves and posted the file online. And now it's literally now the default option with the Steam controller when you use it as like Xbox One controller. It, it, my understanding is that their original solution was just like sluggish and it didn't feel good to use the right sort of pad. For those that don't know, the Steam controller uses two large pads that are kind of like thumb pads instead of sticks, and then there's one stick if you want to use that. Um, it's really cool. It's and it's very versatile. And uh, you know, if you want a comfy couch game, it's sort of the best. It is a little bit of like a uh, master of none situation, where it does a little bit of everything, but none of them it does perfectly. So you're playing um, Witcher, or no? What were you playing? On I played. Your- I played all of Alan Wake, start to finish, uh, with the Steam controller. And you preferred that over your Xbox One controller? Or you just uh, did it just to do it? No. Well, you know what? I, I don't know if it's the novelty. I don't know if I'm ready to say I prefer it over it, but it's a very, very strong option. One thing I specifically like is, uh, let's say you're using the thumb pad as, a, as the right stick. It's got something called trackball mode, where like, let's say you fling, like, and you can, like, it's so customizable. You can say, I want the trackball mode to be like totally freewheeling, low friction, medium friction, high friction. And if you set it to like low or none, Let's say you swipe your finger really fast on the right pad. It will spin around like you just spun a trackball. Huh. Like, and in some way, a game like Alan Wake, actually, where the guys like sneak up behind you sometimes and you got to spin around and do the flashlight and stuff like that. It was a really cool way to just literally be like really quickly, thumb right, le- like, thumb right to left swipe, and all of a sudden I did a 360. That would have taken me probably an extra two seconds if I was on a controller holding down the stick. Yeah. And I was flashlighting the zombies or whatever those things are. So I'm going to be on the road this weekend, but some weekend when I'm in town, you're getting the keys to the office and screw Jeff's house. I'm going to go to where the Oculus and the Vive yes. both live. Yes. And the Steam controller. They'll, they'll both live here eventually, guys. <laughs> I'll be there eventually, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, guys. Well, we are uh, we're running long, and I know this, this episode is going to have extra bonus content at the end, so it's going to be a really long one. Uh, but I do want to carve out a, uh, a bit of tabletop time. Let's start tabletop time with an email. This was sent to us uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can always send feedback, and we love hearing tabletop time emails and story of the week and playlist emails. Anything you want to say to the show dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This comes from William. He's from Auckland, New Zealand. He says, uh, guys, fan of the show, I would like, if I may, which, by the way, is that a, I think he's referencing um, a Rocky Horror Picture Show with that, which I, I appreciate. Uh, I would like, if I may, to amend Christian's recommendation from last week's Tabletop Time. Sneaky, snacky squirrels is not just for toddlers. I received the game as a birthday present as a Kiwi living in the Midwest, I would point to every squirrel in every tree and just shout, <laughs> squirrel, much like Doug from Up. Sneaky Snacky quickly became a hit amongst my sn- circle of friends, a simple game of chance that served 
<laughs> well as a chaser between bouts of citadels and dominion. Instead of hand-eye coordination, it taught us that Lady Luck can be a fickle mistress, and that a single spin can summon the dreaded Mr. Northwind and blow all of your hard-won acorns away. It is Q, much cursing and... What? I said it is ages three and up. So <laughs> Yeah, and up. He said, cue much cursing and, and chucking of rubbery acorns by late 20-somethings. And the box is shaped like a tree. How cool is that? Uh, so thanks, William, for that cool email. Sneaky, snacky squirrels. Who knew? <laughs> Christian, I, I spend so much time uh, recommending amazing board games. And then Christian comes in and, and, and uh, has these toddler games like Sneaky, Snacky Squirrel. And what was the other one? Oh, Zingo? Zingo? Bingo yeah. With we get Z. more emails about Zingo. I swear to God, if I read every Zingo email we got, yeah. we'd be here for a week and a half. Hey, I've got a new game for next week too, guys, so uh, buckle up. <laughs> um, I got bad news. Uh, VR is even going to infect the Tabletop Time segment for a moment, so forgive me in advance, but I think you guys are going to hear this because it's pretty fascinating. Um, I don't think I've really ever talked about sort of the bluffing games uh, of Tabletop uh, you know, these these games like um, One Night Ultimate Werewolf and Mafia and The Resistance. And oh, we talked about Coup a bunch. That's a that's one of them. Uh, and uh, even even Citadels to a certain extent is is sort of like that. Uh, but we talked about Masquerade. Masquerade is definitely one of those bluffing games. These are all games where you are basically lying to your friends to their face um, and there are some of the most fun games ever. I, I have brought out Resistance to so many parties, uh, and it's really fun. You, you know, you have a secret secret role, and you uh, are trying to get something to happen, and that involves convincing your friends that you're not the role you said. Uh, if you've ever played, you know, Werewolf or Mafia, even like Camp or something, it's a game. Those are games that don't even require you to buy anything. You can just play them yourself. You know, one person is is the werewolf and they're trying to murder people and everybody else is trying to figure out who the werewolf is and you, you know, distrust your friends and you cast aspersions and it's, it's really crazy and fun. I went to Red Storm uh, this week in North Carolina. These are the guys that make the division and I got to see some really cool division stuff and talk to the developers. I, division continues to be an obsession of mine. A uh, really, really cool group of guys making that and gals, I should say, uh, making that game, which was fun. But they also showed me uh, another game that they are working on, which they showed at GDC this year. I didn't get a chance to see it there. Uh, it's called Werewolves Within, and this is basically the idea of One Night Ultimate Werewolf or Mafia or any one of those games, but done in virtual reality. And as much of a fan of VR as I am, I really was skeptical about this because the entire joy of those kinds of games is the fact that you're sitting around with your friends. You can read their tells. You can try to bluff to their face. It really is a, an argument for being in the same physical space with someone. And the charm of it comes from you know, actually interacting on a human level across a table with people or around a couch or whatever. And the idea of doing that in a virtual reality space seemed stupid, quite frankly. It seemed like a, a fool's errand. I'm here to tell you, it's amazing. <laughs> It's unbelievable how well it works. So the idea here is you put on the Oculus goggles and you're sitting at your desk with a controller in your hand and then you're transported into this sort of fantasy fairy tale world with other people who have their Oculus goggles on and are sitting somewhere else in the world uh, with their controller in their hand. But each of you is sitting at a virtual campfire 
And you all have uh, these avatars that are sort of these fairy tale characters, like, you know, ridiculous looking um, troll woman or, you know, a, a guy with a big long beard or a, a, somebody with an eye patch or whatever. And all of the head movements are tracked to your head position in the goggles. All of the things you say, which you can hear other people talking, are mapped to lip sync technology. So the characters actually move their lips into what they say. And there's an algorithm that judges the speech pattern and your sort of tonality and then creates arm movements and gesticulations for the avatar based on how you're speaking. In addition to that, you also have a few uh, emotes that you can do that tell your arms to, you know, fold and sort of look grumpy or point at someone or, uh, you know, gesticulate wildly or clap or whatever. So you have some sort of purposeful expression and then you have this algorithm that kind of works based on your, your method of speech. And you're sitting around with virtual people talking. I mean, the entire game is talking. It's just talking to each other. You have a secret role that you have been assigned and you have this book that you can call up at any time that gives you the rules of the game and lets you know the special power that your secret role can do. Uh, and you can pull that up at any time and no one knows you're looking at your book and uh, no one knows what role you are. And you can also initiate a side conversation. So if you want to do a secret with someone, you can try to, uh, you can lean over and if you lean your head towards someone and they lean their head towards you, you initiate sort of a one-on-one secret conversation where the game decides that your whispers can only be heard by them and their whispers can only be heard by you. And you can have like little side conversations and go, I think, you know, I think Christian is the werewolf, so let's team up against him. Uh, Also, once per game, you can physically stand up in your, you know, off out of your chair and your avatar will physically stand up, and that forces everybody else to be quiet. It cuts off their, uh, their speech ability in the game and lets you have a little monologue for a few seconds. So if you want to like get everybody's attention, you can stand up and talk. We only get to do that once. It's like playing one of these bluffing games wearing a mask. It's absolute... I mean, as soon as it started, I just started giggling because... The idea of sitting around with people and seeing these very human movements, because they're all mapped one-to-one, these very human movements come out of these ridiculous fairy tale characters is immediately entertaining. And it has convinced me 100% that social in VR is going to be massive. Massive. I told the, all the development team, I was like, you guys are sitting on a gold mine. The amount of like microtransactions to make my guy look like a fish or a dragon or you know, have a little hat or a little, you know, some glasses or something. It's, it's a gold mine because it's so fun to just hang out in VR with people. It's unbelievably fun. It's ridiculous and fun. Uh, and then the fact that you can actually have these conversations and you're dealing with human people uh, across the span of time and space is amazing. And the game, you know, which has been tested over, uh, you know, decades uh, because people have been playing it around real campfires for decades, it really works, and it just it works in VR. I was blown away by it. Is there any uh, fear that this game is going to launch and nobody will have the headsets? And you know, what I, I, yeah, I, I, I worry about games that require multiplayer in the early days of VR to have to be fun. But it sounds amazing. I'm I'm more worried, to be honest with you, about 
griefing in these kinds of situations where somebody is just going to spew profanities or it's going to be there's going to be some weird kind of way to grief people in these environments and i i'm i'm you know these things that are basically social experiences in vr i think will be will turn into horrible experiences for a large portion of people which is really sad to say but is you know hey it's the internet yeah i mean i think i think very quickly and this is one of the things that i think is um obvious if once you get the oculus is they're treating it like a platform and there's a friends list i mean if these things take off the way everyone's expecting them to uh, oculus will have to staff up with customer support and people who ban people when you get reported for doing things like that it's, it's going to it's going to be necessary yeah i i it's <laughs> it's amazing to me that this works that it's fun that it's that you if you feel like you're talking to a human being and not a robot you can you can sort of see these subtle the subtle movements of, of things and recognize them as human. And the fact that they're mapped to these ridiculous characters is instantly silly. It's like you're, you're hanging out with a bunch of puppets. You're hanging out with a, you know, a Muppet or something. Um, What's interesting is that you just dedicated a good portion of tabletop time to something in VR, which is I know cats and I, dogs, right? Living together, mass hysteria. Uh, anyway, Christian, do you have any comment on this? Sounds interesting. Have, you know, haven't played it. Sounds good. Sounds it sounds fun, but also scary because the fact that it works maybe will just limit real interaction. Is it good, bad? I don't know. I'm not there yet. Dystopian future, blah, blah, blah. I'm curious to see where it goes, though. I mean, it's it's crazy where we're headed. Well, somebody in the subreddit this week said it annoys them that I say that the show is ending, and then we go and do parting gift after that. But uh, the show is ending. Uh, this is the end of the show, but we're going to do some extra content. Plus, there's bonus content at the end of this this uh, episode, so that's going to be even more frustrating for that person who says, I say the show is over, and then he looks on his, his iPod, and there's like 20 more minutes. And that he uh, has an iPod. So Yeah, look at that. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, we stick around because uh, we do have the parting gift coming up, and we do have uh, – <laughs> we do have uh, uh, these bonus interviews that are really going to be fun. I think uh, if you heard me you know, talk about – the stuff with Insomniac that we dig a little deeper with the actual developers. So uh, stick around for those. They're really cool. But uh, Blake, thank you so much for being here, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Hope to do it again soon. Yeah, where can people uh, keep up with you if they're so inclined? If they're so inclined, which I don't know why they would be, I am at uh, Twitter, Blake, at Blake Rockine, my full name, no spaces, uh, B-L-A-K-E-R-O-C-H-K-I-N-D. Awesome. Uh, Christian, what do you got going on this week? Twitter's the easiest way to get in touch with me. It is at Spicer, S-P-I-C-E-R. If you are listening to this um, before the weekend, I will be in San Diego at the La Jolla Comedy Store for shows, four shows, Friday and Saturday. I'll be down there with Dean Del Rey. We do a podcast on the All Things Comedy Network, a live call-in show called Bitchin'. It goes out on the RSS of his um, his feed, Let There Be Talk, which if you're not, if you like rock and you do not subscribe to that, it is incredible he did an interview with omar from at the drive-in and um what an incredible 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 interview and and episode of of dean's podcast i also have a parenting podcast called department of parenting we recently had um the i guess a lot of mcelroys are married (laughs) i need to be more specific but we had sydney on most recently if you might know her from sawbones we had justin on before that those are fun guest episodes it's a light-hearted take on parenting and then now that i have this rig hopefully up and running uh more streaming more consistent streaming at my twitch channel which is twitch.tv slash christian spicer and i will be archiving them 
longer than what uh, Twitch does over at a YouTube page that I have set up, but it's a, it's a baby page. It's not there yet, but uh, more will be there coming soon. Awesome. Uh, I've got more shows for you to check out as well. If you want to hear me talk about movies and TV shows, why not check out the Slash Filmcast? We have a fun one coming up this week talking about Jungle Book, which is a pretty amazing 3D experience. Uh, you can find that at SlashFilm.com or SlashFilmcast.com. Uh, I have a science comedy show, which is really fun, called We Have Concerns. You can find that at WeHaveConcerns.com. And I talk about tech on CNET on a show called Tomorrow Daily. You can find that at TomorrowDaily.com as well. All right, guys, uh, let's give the people something to get them through their week with the parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is parting Blake, gift. Blake, uh, you got something that uh, might not be a video game that you can recommend? Something that might not be a video game that I could recommend. Um, dun, dun, dun. Oh, you know what? Perfect. I, uh, yesterday, was binge-watching the show Catastrophe which is an Amazon Prime instant video series. Uh, if you have Amazon Prime, you have access to it on Roku or any other such things. It is hysterical. I don't know if either of you have seen it. No, it not a, yet. It's Rob Delaney. Uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it is hysterical. Especially, Christian, I'm sure it hits a little too close to home for you. Uh, <laughs> it is, it's hysterical. It's raw. It's uh, six episodes uh, per season. This, the second season just went up live. Uh, I'd recommend it to anybody. It's great. And Amazon just launched a standalone streaming service, so you no longer have to pay the full yearly Prime membership. You can just do, I think it's nine ninety nine, maybe eight ninety nine, for just Amazon Prime. They're going after Netflix even more head-on. So if you're thinking about it, it's a way to do it. Christian, how about you? What do you got for a uh, parting gift? Two quickies. One is I got new pillows. Nothing fancy, but uh, it was kind of like you were saying for your bed. I, I don't know the last time I got a new pillow. I'm sleeping like a baby over here, you guys. Upgrade. Upgrade that little stuff you don't think about because um, I have no pillow to recommend. It's not like some specific magical pillow. It's just a pillow. It was like 20 bucks. I love it. It's a great, it's a great pillow. Um, the other thing, this is just because I am still wrecked. So I'm in pretty good shape. I feel like I've kept myself in good shape. was in great shape in college. But never like buff, never muscular as a mid-distance runner. And um, my knee doesn't allow me to run the way I used to. So I've been doing more weight work and always looking for ways to get smarter and improve. I'm working with a coach or a trainer or whatever. And I had never done GHD sit-ups before, glute ham developer ab work. I did it on Thursday. I am still wrecked here on Monday. <laughs> if anyone has done these before... And you can feel my pain. I guess the the gift would be like, hey, try new things, push your body, but keep it within limits. Like I now I know how people have twelve packs. I don't have one, but I can feel where they are. You know what I mean? Like I feel shredded, even though I don't look <laughs> it. I feel every ab nice. that Batman has on his body of armor. It is insane. I have another show to recommend that kind of goes along with what Blake was saying. Uh, have you guys watched Dice on Showtime? Yes. Did you like it? I'm I'm excited for where it's going. I know I think they released them all streaming, but I have not yeah. watched them all. I watched the first one, and I I like uh, Andrew Dice Clay. I think he's a me too, fun dude. It, he's so charming. It is hilarious. Char- charming, is- charming. That may be the first time anyone's used that word. To describe. <laughs> no, he, I, I, I'm, I would, I would double down on that statement. He is, he is, you can't take his, your eyes off him. He is, has undeniable telepresence and charm. He is, uh, really self-deprecating in the show. He totally makes fun of himself. 
he understands the joke about who he is and what where he was and he plays a washed up version of himself and it's like bizarro curb your enthusiasm and it is so funny i mean i was laughing out loud so often i mean it's very crass it's very adult it's i mean it's very much andrew dice clay's kind of humor there's a you know there's a penis joke in every episode but it is really good really good it's on showtime it's called dice all right guys as i said we got bonus content coming up uh with uh, these interviews so stick around for that don't leave us but uh thanks to blake rockhine for being here uh and thanks to christian spicer Thanks to all of you who hung out in the chat. We're back. Hopefully this all worked, and we'll be doing it again next week. So stay tuned to our Twitter feed for that. Thanks to Christian for making that happen. Uh, And thanks to all of you that downloaded the show. We really appreciate it. We'll be back next week with more. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. I'm with uh, Chad DeZern, and you are the... I'm the creative director. For The Unspoken, the game we just revealed. Right. Uh, The Unspoken, which is a PvP-centric urban magic fight club game. Yes, that's right. Another one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is something completely new, certainly for your studio, but I think for anyone. This well, is a new concept completely, right? Well, that, that, that's great to hear. I mean, that's how, that's how we think of it. It's, it's one of those ideas that we've had for a while. I mean, it's the type of thing that we've brought up over the years between projects. And, and, you know, we've always gotten really excited about the possibilities. But it wasn't until we went hands-on with the touch controllers at E3 last year that we thought, we've got, we've got the perfect... Uh, match for this like yeah we, we really have the device we need to let players feel like they're they're using their bare hands uh, to cast real magic yeah and the way that you cast magic in this game is sort of like uh doing little mini games little touch mini games to summon specific powerful spells can you talk a little bit about that yeah we really liked the the feel of uh, looking down and seeing your hands in vr and we like the idea of objects that are sort of imbued with magic properties that that kind of suggest a spell to you so in the unspoken you know you might select a sheet of paper that prompts you to uh to fold it with some nuance uh which will give you a uh, paper airplane that's you know far more elaborate than anything you can make in the real world mm-hmm. that then you can use as a projectile to attack your opponent um, or we'll give you a hammer that you can use to forge a javelin to throw at your opponent. And, you know, all of these things take time. There are casting motions, though, that you can perfect as you get better and better so that you can cast spells faster, cast them uh, with better results if you're really graceful with your motions. And um, We also have uh, a, spell, a spell type called primal spells, and these are things like uh, fireballs and shields like we showed today, and, and these are the spells that are sort of always at your fingertips. They're, mm-hmm. they're based on, like, really intuitive um, gestures. You know, it's a, it's a throw for the fireball, just yeah. like you'd expect. And uh, we, we really like that balance of some things that are there and relatively um, fast to reach for in the heat of battle, but also some other things that might be a little riskier to take time to cast, but it's a bigger payoff because you deal a lot more damage to your opponent with those. Yeah, the, the experience is unlike anything I've ever done before, which is this constant dance between awareness of your opponent and the sort of chaos of real-time combat but also switching back and forth between that and what's happening right in front of you, doing very intricate movements in order to summon your spells. It's a, it's a new place in my brain. Hmm. Oh, cool. That's, that, that's awesome to hear. Yeah. We, and we know that we're asking you to focus 
on what you're doing, the experience of casting, and also everything on the battlefield. We, we introduce things like cover points, so you can get to a place and have just a, a quiet uh, few seconds at least to kind of survey the scene and decide what you want to do. Um, we also have some spell types that are all about either shielding yourself, like you know, shields play a big part in this game because yeah. you can give yourself that quiet moment to plot your next move. Uh, and we also think about spells in terms of What's the experience going to be like for your opponent? Some things like the crows that you can summon um, keep your opponent busy. Mm-hmm. And while your opponent's busy, you can plot your next move. That's the back and forth we're after. We also come at it from what feels cool in VR. And we always said, well, it would be really great to be, you know, I have a flock of crows around your head, so let's build a spell around that. Is there a, a is one of your goals to sort of create a rock paper scissors for the spells of counters? That's a good way to think of it. Every every offensive spell has one or more counters, and all of our spells fall into different categories that you sort of learn and, and understand as you play. So some of them are about dealing direct damage, but these are dodgeable and you can counter them with shields. Some of them are about keeping your opponent busy, but your opponent can also blow these things out of the sky with fireballs or other offensive spells. Um, uh, some uh, spells have a big wind-up. And, you know, the thing about VR and the thing about tracked head and hands with the touch controllers is that you can see all of the weird subtleties of human motion. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can kind of learn to see, oh, my opponent's looking in this direction. You can anticipate what they're going to do. Or you can uh, really focus on the spells that they're casting at that minute and sort of get the jump on them a little bit if you choose to pay attention to that in battle. So... It really is that feeling of like one-upping each other that we're chasing with this game. It was immediately apparent to me. I mean, it's, it really feels like you're there casting spells, attacking the other player. You know, one of the challenges, especially in first-person VR, is movement. And you guys have opted for a teleportation, which is certainly in line with the theme of magicians. Right. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that decision? Yeah, well, we prototyped a lot of different movement schemes. Um, and some of them were even pretty exotic because we, we do have a world that, that's based in urban magic. So we tried some that were projectiles that you could shoot from your fingertips and then immediately astrally project to that position. That sounded really good on paper, but then we tried it and it didn't seem like the best way to actually move around with any precision in the battlefield. Um, you know, we also tried, uh, you know, more straightforward, like fly to a spot type schemes, but they ended up leaving us and, and other players feeling a little disoriented, which mm. we didn't want. So, yeah, we opted for teleportation as the, we think, the best choice for this game. Again, it's, it's really uh, convenient that it works with a magic theme, but also because it lets you kind of keep your bearings. You know, mm. you're always oriented toward... Um, cardinal directions and you can you can look around wherever you want to but there are enough visual anchors out there where we feel like you can teleport around and still understand where you are and not have to sort of refactor your position after every single move yeah i noticed that uh the my opponent was on the opposite end of the arena and i could never sort of cross that middle line right yeah we, we have we have an, an imaginary middle line almost like the net in a tennis court mm-hmm. because uh you know it, it is completely permissible in this game to look behind you however it's not something that you'd want to do all the time and you wouldn't want to find yourself oriented completely 180 degrees from you know where where your uh, true north is in the game yeah. so um, all, all of our spells are based on uh, your field of view in front of you. Um, it tends to not be all that fun to be like getting hit with a projectile from behind and not be able to do anything about it. So we, we design around that for sure. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges of aiming with a, a game where you're I'm literally throwing with my hand something at the opponent? How much assist does the game give me? Right. 
we we started out with a model that was as physically accurate as we could make it. So it was just like throwing, say, a baseball in the real world. And it turns out that the physical limitations of real throws, especially for people like me, because I'm extraordinarily not athletic, <laughs> um, the, the real world limitations, uh, you, you, you think you want to hit something in the game, but you can't. Right. It's, it's, uh, That's it, why we play video games, right? So exactly, we don't have to actually yeah. do it. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you know, you, you can't hit a, a small target at 100 meters in the real world, it turns <laughs> out. Right. So what we ended up with is a model that keeps some of the skill there. You know, we're still looking at your, your hand vector. Um, but it also adds the idea of where you're looking. So that thing that you think you ought to be able to hit because you're focusing on it, you actually will hit a lot of the time, provided your gesture matches up, you know, provided you're pretty accurate and really focusing on that target. Um, it, it's been a, a balancing act to make sure that it feels like a skillful move, but also something that you can get really confident with and feel like you're hitting what you expect to hit. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it works. And, and when I miss, I feel like it was my fault, which is like instead of, oh, the game made me miss. You know, it's, it's very cool. cool. Um, the world that you are inhabiting here, which is in modern day magic, it's a it's a very interesting idea. And you know, certainly Harry Potter and and a lot of the the you know YA novels have hit that, and, and it's a very popular idea. It's something I would want to live in uh, more than just a PvP game. Is there any idea, any thought of of any single player content for this game? Well, so single player uh, is all about practice. I mean, it's about like giving you a space where you can try out all your spells, try different loadouts, kind of decide for yourself strategically what you want to do in a match. Um, and we'll also let you do all of that against AI opponents. So you can, you can practice before you go up against a human. But um, all of that is very much in the service of PvP, which is to say there isn't a campaign in the game. Um, it's, it's really about the idea of a magician's duel and, and jumping in with a friend or someone you, know, you meet via the game and, yeah. and, uh, and you know, um, taking on the challenge of fighting them in the arena. Is there any idea of, of more than just 1v1, or is it going to be a pure duel? We're focused on 1v1 for now, because we really want to go deep with spellcasting gestures, uh, things like movement schemes. I mean, we had to learn a lot um, about what's going to work with the controls and in VR. We had to build mechanics from the ground up, so we, we want to make that very refined. And then in the future, you know, who knows where it goes, but we're really looking at uh, getting a great uh, magician's duel experience first and foremost. Most. Is there any kind of leveling mechanic or role-playing elements? So uh, there are character classes. So when you choose a class, what you're choosing uh, is the look of your avatar, but also the primal spells. So in the demo that you played today, you got to play around with a fireball and a small hand shield. Mm -hmm. Those are examples of primal spells that are always at your fingertips and relatively straightforward to cast. So there, there are a variety of those. But we also let players choose their loadout. Mm. So you'll be able cool. to decide which object spells you want to take into battle with you. Maybe you have favorites. Maybe there are some that you've practiced with a lot and feel like you're really good at. Um, we want this to feel like real magic and that you can kind of learn learn it. You know, uh, by, by practice, you can get better. Um, we also have uh, progression via customization elements. So, again, you know that it's a real human being in the arena across from you. It's really fun to change the look of your cloak or your eyes or what you're wearing on your head. Like, all that stuff you'll earn via success in matches. Awesome. You know, plus leaderboards and clans and uh, all the devices that, um, that we'll use to kind of show um, how players are doing in the real world. So are all the primal spells basically one offensive and one defensive, or is it... Mm -hmm. Right, right. We, we're early enough where we're 
talking that through. Right, yes, right now we're at one offensive and defensive, but we, we're discussing if we'll let you dual wield offensive or go all in for shields if you choose that type of thing. Cool. Uh, so let me just talk a little bit about uh, VR in general. This is going to be exclusive to the Oculus. That's right. So no Vive support as of right now. Right. And uh, is there any concern? With the fact that people can't get them right now, are you guys worried about that? Oh, um, I mean, we're really focused on building the game for holiday 2016, mm-hmm. so it's it's not a thing that we, uh, we we talk about that much when we're in development. We're we're we're, we're building a world and yeah. mechanics and really thinking a lot about that. And uh, what about the challenges of of marketing something like this? I mean, it's, playing is believing with VR, right? Is right. is there any kind of in that direction. That's the nature of the challenge. You just described it. You know, screenshots can give you some vague idea of what the game is like. Um, video can kind of give you an idea, but nothing really matches getting in there with the headset and experiencing it. So we're looking at things like 360 videos that can get us a few steps closer, but you know, ultimately um, it's about letting as many people go hands-on with it as we possibly can, try it out, and then uh, let, let, let the word get around that it's yeah. a cool experience. We want as many people to be able to see what it feels like to use real magic as possible. Yeah, I mean, it is really wish-fulfillment, wish uh, so I, I think it sells itself in that sense. Um, last question. It, it also, I get the sense that there's an opportunity here for this to sort of be the next level of esport. Hmm. You know, a, a sort of physical esport. Right. Is there any thought in that direction? Well, we we love the idea of becoming an esport, and that, and we do think it's cool because we see this in the office all the time. We love to watch matches, and not with a uh, with this type of game, not only do you get what's happening in the game world, but also the real world is pretty fun and interesting to look at. You can <laughs> yes. see people get really into it, and and it's funny. Um, the more players uh, move their arms, um, you know, gesture alike like magicians, the better they tend to do. I mean, it's, it's part of the fantasy of really using your hands for this stuff. So uh, we, we, we certainly like the idea of that. I wouldn't say we're um, designing uh, like an eSport. I mean, we didn't start out and say, let's make an eSport, but it would be really cool, certainly, if things take off like that. Uh, we, we, we like it that the game's got the potential to grow in that direction, for sure. Well, I had a blast playing it, and I, I just think it's such an awesome concept, and it, it works so well instantly. You get it right away, which is which is really cool. Thank you. It's great to hear. Thanks a lot. I'm looking forward to playing more. Excellent. <laughs> I'm sitting here with Brian Allgaier, creative director at Insomniac, and you are showing us more of Edge of Tomorrow, which has, I have to admit, been on the top of my list oh, since fantastic. I saw it the first time. Yeah, it's Edge of Nowhere. Uh, what did I say, Age of Tomorrow? That's the mistake. That was a good movie, though. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, they even changed their title, so I'm, oh, right, I'm screwed yeah. it up 12 times. <laughs> Edge of Nowhere. Yes. Pardon me. Um, again, I, I'm super thrilled, and I just played a half an hour more of it. Um, let's talk a little bit about third person in VR. Sure. Uh, yeah. I don't think it's the first thing you think of when you do VR. But yeah. it works. It really yeah. does. It's surprising. You know, I, that's the first thing I thought when we started developing this game. We thought, well, it'll probably be first person. But one of the biggest challenges that we face in VR is keeping people comfortable. And whenever you go into first person mode, if you ever have to rotate the player's head, like the virtual camera, nausea just happens. Mm-hmm. Waves of nausea. So we found that by going third person, you get this really cool character in front of you. He gets to do all these crazy moves, spinning in place, whatever you want to do with him. And the camera can kind of move very slowly and comfortably through the space. Yeah. One of the things I noticed is that, at least in this demo, 
constantly moving forward. There's never a time when I need to kind of turn around and go back where I came from. Is that something you discovered needed to be the case in VR? Yeah, well, it goes back to not ever moving the player's head. And mm. all the rotation that the camera does is, is one-to-one with your own head rotation. And that's the most comfortable experience. So uh, we don't have you turning 90 degrees and making a lot of twists and turns. But it also really works well with the story where you're following the expedition's trail, so you're always marching forward looking for where the expedition has gone. Yeah. And so we found that that story device as well as that um, restriction in terms of VR comfort worked really well. It, it is extraordinary how a simple jump that I've done a thousand times in a thousand video games becomes so much more thrilling and terrifying in VR. Uh, is that one of the reasons that you decided to go with this genre for this game? Absolutely. You know, we first started doing some very simple prototypes, and we found that you get feelings of vertigo, you get moments of claustrophobia when things came in close, and and then also there's that tension, that feeling of horror. Whenever you have to put the VR headset on, for whatever reason, your primitive brain just sort of <laughs> snaps on, and you start wondering what's behind you and around you. Uh, And we were big fans of Lovecraft, and so we thought At the Mountains of Madness was this great novella. We thought, let's bring that to life and bring it to VR. And all that just seemed to kind of match up really well. Yeah, it's terrifying and thrilling all at once. It's it's pretty awesome. Um, I would love to talk a little bit more about things you discovered making your first VR game. Mm -hmm, Uh, One of the things I noticed was that uh, in the dark spaces, he turns on his headlamp, but his headlamp is mapped to my head, not his head. I thought that was pretty clever. Yeah, you know, it's so intuitive to be able to look at where you want things to light up and when you aim your uh, shotgun to look at where you want to shoot. And we're so accustomed as gamers to be using the right thumbstick for that. And once people start moving their head, it just makes so much sense. And I, I think in the future, people are going to find it odd that you used your right thumb <laughs> to, use, to move your head. Yeah. Is there, are there any other discoveries that you continue to make with this, you know, being in VR for the first time? Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. Sometimes there's certain limitations with um, the way we've set up the character, the third-person character. You're, like, always following behind Victor Howard, who's the main character. And we wanted this point where you found some bodies of the expedition team. And so we thought, well, there'd be mutilated corpses. He'd walk up to them, look down, see this you know, pile of bodies. And it just wasn't working well because you have the camera pulled back. You're behind Victor, and you can't quite see around him. So we thought, well, hey, this is VR. You can look straight up. Let's have the bodies hanging from the ceiling. You can walk up and look underneath them. And it just added this kind of cool fictional twist that we might not have otherwise done if it was a standard game. Yeah. And there are moments when you come across uh, the previous expedition's journals. And I loved how the camera moves really close in on Victor. And you feel like you're right there. I mean, there's a moment where he was looking at the journal and I, I leaned in to kind of look over his shoulder and, and read along with him. It's, it's extraordinary. Right. Yeah, we need to put a feature where something jumps out of the book. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, that's what we, we, we figured was that um, VR looks great when you're up close to things. And we were about two or three feet away. And so we wanted to have these moments where we'd find these clues, find dead bodies, and you could just kind of get that really cool perspective and see what he's seeing. Are there technical challenges with VR? I know that the frame rate has to be extremely high and, the, and you know, your computer has to be very powerful. Uh, and the game looks great. It, it doesn't look like Ratchet and Clank. Mm. You know, it's not, I don't think, as, as pretty. Uh, are, are you running up against uh, difficulties kind of graphically showing what you want to show? Well, yeah, we have to be much smarter in how where we put our detail with our graphics because we're not we're running at ninety frames per second. That's three times the amount of like graphics horsepower we need to render an image. Yeah, 
And then um, at the same time, we have a super high-resolution stereoscopic display. So we're not we're kind of limited on detail and can't put as much as we could say in like a ratchet and clank game. Mm-hmm. Um, but fortunately, we picked an environment in a world where we can um, decide where we want to put our detail. In the Arctic, you can kind of blanket the ground with snow. You can have fog and darkness. And so we put a lot of our detail in our enemies and our hero and then specific areas throughout the game. So I think in the end, people are going to feel they're getting like a really rich, realistic experience. Um, but we're we're being smart about where we draw all those polygons. Yeah, yeah. I, I noticed that. I mean, there, there are areas that are very sort of sparse, and then you walk into uh, this cave, and there's this gorgeous sort of chandelier-looking thing that is really beautiful. So uh, the picking and choosing, I think, works. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we do have some very lush, detailed areas, but... You know, what we're up against is we can't put like a ton of enemies as well. We can't have like a horde of monsters and have a detailed location. So we're always thinking about that balance. And with Lovecraft, a lot of it is about the unknown, the the mysterious of what lies out in the darkness. So we definitely use that to our benefit. Also notice that it's very forgiving as far as checkpointing. Like I, I would die and immediately be right back where I was. Do you think that you you approach that differently because it's VR or is that just kind of the game you were making? Uh, well, we you know we definitely made this focus on more of the experiential aspect, and we want you to feel like you're keep you're progressing and moving forward. And we're staying fairly realistic to like ice climbing. It's like a slow plotting. You're mm-hmm. thinking about your next move. Um, but we found that people don't want to repeat climbing the same wall each time if they missed a jump. So we do tend to checkpoint more frequently. Um, but yeah, you definitely have to be skillful in getting past all this stuff, and it's still a test of skill. But we just don't. You know, as gamers, we get tired of the, oh, i got to start all the way yeah. back 10 minutes ago. That's crazy. Right. No, I definitely appreciate yeah. that. And, and I found that the stealth stuff worked really well. And I found myself feeling smart when I realized I could, you know, impale the enemies on their own little shrubs. Right. It was so cool. Such yeah. a neat moment. Yeah, that was a, a fun discovery that happened late in production. That enemy almost didn't happen. Mm-hmm. There's A lot of folks were like, we just don't have the time to implement, like, a, another guy. And we're thinking, like, this guy would pepper him around. And we didn't really think too much about the idea of him being, like, this little mine that could be detonated and take out enemies. And it just worked out really well. It's so fun. It makes yeah. it makes those feel a little bit like puzzles. And it's it's great. Um, can you tell me a little bit about storytelling? I think uh, this is the first time I'd seen uh, what I guess you would call a cutscene in the game. Mm-hmm. It's sort of these um, visions or hallucinations that Victor's having. Uh, can you talk about uh, talk, you know, expressing story in VR? Sure. Well, we have two different types of way that we... Well, actually, we have a number of different types of way we tell the story. But whenever we get to, I guess, a cut scene, we have moments where you're inside Victor's head, and we're calling those headspace moments. And that's what you experience at the very beginning, where you see objects floating in space as he narrates. Mm-hmm. And this is Victor really trying to make sense of what he's seeing and what's happening in the world. And it has almost kind of a feeling like, of like an old-school Twilight Zone with objects floating against this black backdrop. So that's a really good way of um, showing off uh, objects up close, which works really well for VR. Uh, but then we also have other uh, moments where the whole world transforms around Victor and you're having a hallucination. And so that was a moment where you got to Miskatonic University right. and you could see Victor and Ava and Captain Edwards all talking within the lecture hall. And so that's a really cool way of playing with the sense of presence where we get to kind of envelop you in these new locations and really break up the pace and surprise players. It- it's an awesome experience, and uh, you know, showing that you can do these very traditional AAA games in VR, and it actually is additive. It makes me not want to play anything else. <laughs> not want to play anything in two D anymore. Are you are you sort of 
feeling like you only want to work in VR space now, or do you still want to kind of go back and forth and, and create games in 2D? I think there's always going to be a place for 2D games, but I certainly love VR, and I've been having a, a blast uh, kind of overcoming some of the challenges and figuring out how to tell stories and make games with this new medium. So I, for, for me personally, I could see myself working on VR for a very long time. Well, that's awesome. I can't wait to play it. And, and release date is June, yes? Yeah, June 6th of this year. So it's coming up fast. All right. Thanks a lot. I appreciate cool, yeah. it. Thanks, Jeff.